One, two, three, four. In this podcast, you will be here. Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader. Include, but it's not later. Who talk of Star Wars, not Reagans. We can't truly prepare for the junk that follows this song. But hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of Vader. Crystal Fox reports they are divided. For equal sequel, hate and love they fight I know that we are just musicians hired. And their time is up. So here's the Knights of Vader. Impressive. Most impressive. A big thank you to Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. It is January 30th, 2023. My name is Zach Weber, and joining me today is my co-host that is not blue, Chris Porteous. So happy to be here to appropriately celebrate Star Wars Podcast Day. Yeah, yes, Star Wars Podcast Day. That involves talking about uh, uh, the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jimmy C. Christ. Yeah, it's going to be good. You know, we've been trying to fight off talking about the way of water on on previous uh, Knights of Vader recordings. So it's finally time on uh, today of all days in honor of it finally passing The Force Awakens as like the fourth biggest movie of all time. It's a it's a good day to talk about it. Somewhere like again, Chris, you know, like in the what, Phantom Menace behind the scenes documentary where like Lucas is like on set in Mos Espa and he's like, no one's ever be able to be Titanic. Like it's never going to be done. Like he has to look at this now and just be like, like, is there any like, like does he feel any emotion when he looks at headlines at the, like this? If he even reads the headlines, like what is Lucas thinking when he sees it? Like Jimmy C, like which is. Again, we'll get more into it though. But Jimmy C being of probably one of the very few filmmakers you could compare to Lucas as in being both an auteur and someone who understands like the technological aspect of the industry and was able to fight off what? 30 years of just the industry and fans just like, oh God, just saying horrible things about him. Like, like right? Like, isn't Jimmy C, like maybe he's the, the, Oh God, the exception that proves the rule, but doesn't he prove that like I can still run an IP single-handedly in my naysayers be damned, whether it be Titanic, Avatar, Avatar 2? I really wish we knew what uh, what Lucas thought about all this. I don't think we're going to get that information. I'm I'm just like he he gives so few interviews and and when we see him pop up in a Disney Plus documentary, they don't use any of the footage where he actually says anything profound you know it was there but they just cut all that stuff out because that they can't have you getting access to those comments from lucas where he actually reveals anything of interest so so it's always about you know like like introducing topics so that an approved uh person can talk about them afterwards on uh, the subsequent part of the documentary so we're not i don't think we're gonna get that information um but uh, you know this—the fact that it's doing so that Avatar Two is doing so well makes me happy because, like, not because I particularly love the first one, but but you know, like, uh, love him or hate him, like Jimmy C has made some of the most formative uh, films of my uh, of my childhood, and that it's sort of it—he's done a lot to sort of shape the pop culture landscape and just what we consider good films generally. And, you know, as much as uh, I know, like on cinemodities, you, uh, you, you and Rob 
have discussed how like you know uh his uh aliens is just not as special as alien and overrated and all that but there's just a lot that has sort of remained part of the cultural zeitgeist that he's contributed and uh it's so good to see someone that i actually consider to be a world-class filmmaker actually setting the records versus you know the endless cavalcade of marvel directors who i couldn't even tell you who they are it's great well, that's, that's what, again, I, I chose the word auteur very carefully because I think that he is the last remaining blockbuster auteur. Like like Spielberg, I guess you could count as that because they'll never make another E.T. or Back to the Future without his like express permission. So maybe you could throw Spielberg in there. But I, I really think it's, again, it's, it's disappointing when you compare this to Star Wars and that Lucas could have very easily kept running the company and did what – Jimmy C did, where I was like, okay, like Disney's going to distribute these films. They're they're a creative, I don't want to say partner, but create. They have some level of creative input. But at the end of the day, I'm the one who runs the show, not them. Like it's so disappointing that George Lucas did not realize that there you could have found a balance between just simply like signing the company over to them. Like it's really disappointing. And they at that point, Bob Iger would have clearly look at even. And it's the same time period. It was 2011 where there was the Avatar theme park deal. Like this is all within like a year of each other. And you really have to look back now and be like, like Lucas has to regret it. You would have to assume he regrets the decision to sell the company. Oh yeah. That's my two cents anyway. Based based on just looking between the 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 Disney theme park aspect of Avatar about I forget when that opened in the mid uh, 2010s. But and then even this, like he could have very easily had creative power or at the very least majority creative power and still deflected much like again and Jimmy C was sweating bullets before this movie came out like he kept making all these really peculiar comments like this has to be like the third or fourth highest grossing movie of all time for it to break even like he was really never mind like the pressure was stacked against him like just by nature of the industry he was putting it on himself and he did it like it's like the studios also like not just disney but the entire industry gave him a wide open playing field um that that has helped like he's not going against any major competition yeah good thing disney bought up all the competition before releasing this film <laughs> but no at the but i understand what you're saying though but you could have had something like whether it be Universal or Warner Brothers or someone could have tried to torpedo this, but there's just a certain level of like respect throughout like the industry of like he's James Cameron, you leave him alone, which is something that outside of Lucas and maybe Spielberg, you can't say for any other filmmaker. Well, maybe they're just looking at the numbers, unlike unlike the the naysayers before the movie came out. Maybe if you're a studio, you don't want to go bet against the guy who like knocked it out of the park twice in a row. Like, you know, what I mean? like, why would you why would you it's just, why would you assume this would fail? Like, well, there's the no <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up, because in the lead up to this, this was back like I want to say in like October, November of last year. I was watching a lot of uh, Midnight's Edge, which is my favorite punching bag, and they had Chris Gore on. And if anybody knows anything about like film criti- um, online film journalism for the last 20 years, Chris Gore, again, he is somebody, he's a staple. 
And he's really been latching on to them or maybe vice versa. And he was just kind of like going into this for like in like for two months before the movie came out being like, this is going to be a disaster. It's not even going to break a billion dollars. This is going to be like the death knell for like the Walt Disney Company because this is all within the kind of like the same like time span as the Bob Chapek thing happening. And it's just like – I get it. Like as a, a student of cinematic history, you look at what happened to Titanic. I was there for Avatar in 2009. I don't, if I haven't told that story on, on Knights of Vader, I've definitely told it on Cinematis at least four or five times. It's – again, it, it, I understand the notion of you don't bet against Jimmy C. But Avatar 2, it was never going to bomb. I think – it was always going to make a billion dollars. It was always going to be in that safe space. It was going to be in that Top Gun Maverick zone um, as in like, okay, it's it's comfort food. It's cinematic comfort food. But I did not – even I did not expect this thing to basically flirt with top three highest grossing movies of all time, which is most likely it's going to do. And the fascinating thing to talk about Friendly Fire is that like your top three highest grossing films of all time are Avatar – Avengers Endgame and Titanic and Avatar 2 currently is at fourth place and Titanic's being re-released in a couple of weeks. So like it's really again Avatar's going to be kind of fighting its own sister in that regard as for that third place spot which it will it will get there. Um it, it, again it's going to go back and forth with Titanic over time cuz Jimmy C re-releases Titanic about once every 10 years and it makes about 100 to 200 million dollars. And he'll do the same thing with Avatar 2 like he's done with Avatar. So, yeah, no, it's uh, – you, you got to give the man credit. Like the old expression is once is an isolated incident, twice is a coincidence, three is a pattern. This might be the most profound understanding of populist filmmaking ever in movie history, which is something to truly be marveled at at the end of the day. Exactly. Like, you know, it, like I, it makes me so happy that the director of Terminator and Aliens has three out of the top four highest grossing films of all time. Like, sure, it's not any of those. <laughs> it's not any of the ones I really, really deeply like. But uh, it's just it just shows you that all his previous catalog where he like was actually running the show probably deserves a second look for all the ridiculous Gen Z cartoons out there. Getting to like more of an honest opinion of the movie, though. I believed I would enjoy it. I thought it would be good. But um, like if I take myself back to watching it that first time, a a couple things sort of sort of bothered me. And maybe I know we'll get into it, too. But it's sort of like the best of Jimmy C tactics coming back. I like it was almost comedically annoying the way that the the uh, the way that Jake's children like repeatedly just put themselves in harm's way. And like they were sort of missing babysitters all the time when they should have always had them because they essentially like to run out in front of uh guns it's pretty much their pastime no that no like there is like as i was watching avatar 2 for that initial viewing i was shocked it just like it kind of does play like a greatest hits reel for jimmy c like there's a lot of titanic in this there's a lot of the abyss in this the entire second act is almost beat for beat the 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 move the first and second act of the first avatar movie he's very and even 
oh god, there's some true lies in this with the whole dynamic between Jake and uh, Natiri and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis, like the idea of like a marriage maturing. There, there, it's it's very baffling, like and not in a bad way, but just he was able to take all these things from his filmography, and he's really kind of figured out he's he's gone from trying to pull from other cinema and other art to where he uses himself now as inspiration, which is kind of the ultimate self-actualization of any artist is to pull from oneself for creative inspiration. And I mean, of course, like aesthetically, there's a lot from aliens as well. Like not beyond, not much beyond the aesthetics I'd say, but like these guys might as well be the colonial Marines, like (laughs) visual from a visual (laughs) standpoint. Their, Their guns do look a little bit similar to that. Um, but no, get, getting to this again, like I said, I just want to give a little bit of context for any new listeners out there in ca- or in case I've never explained it on Knights of Vader. But like long story short is that like as a kid saw Titanic five times in theaters during 97, 98, voluntarily, not like I was dragged to it, always been – this is pre-Star Wars for me, like lifelong – Oh God, James Cameron fan. Then during the fall of 2000, I went on Terminator 2 3D Battle Across Time at Universal Studios, RIP, because that doesn't exist anymore. I don't think at any theme park, maybe Universal Japan. Um, and that's what introduced me to Terminator. And that's how I also learned about just the ever unfolding saga of Jimmy C. And, and then from that point on, there was nothing James Cameron, as anyone can tell you, from for the major the vast majority of the 2000s. And then I remember like you'd hear stories about him going back and forth between, oh, is he gonna direct uh Battle Angel Alita, or is he going to do like the paraplegic alien movie? And as a kid, like you'd read about Battle Angel Alita, uh, Battle Angel Alita and be like, well, that's the slam dunk. Like that's the that's the interesting movie. And then, like, you'd hear stories, like, in 2008, 2000, maybe 2007, of him being like, yeah, he's doing Avatar. And then I even remember back during the summer of 2009, right as the the initial trailer was debuting. Like, this is another movie that did not have any major marketing until maybe three to four months before the movie came out. Like, we laugh now about how, like, movies don't get – like, it's like, what do you mean you're not marketing the movie 11 months in advance? And I went to New York City to for Avatar Day. And if you watch the Blu-ray for the uh, three-disc collector's edition of Avatar, they talk about this. And I like – I'm not kidding. Maybe too much information, but I legit had diarrhea that day. And I remember walking out of the 20-minute preview being like, wow. Like, And this is me at like 17 years old being like, there's something special about this movie. That, like, this was like, oh my god. Like what is this? And again, the preview was an IMAX 3D. And then when the and like I was on the hype train, man. Like I had a custom shirt made that's still floating around somewhere. I wore it around before high school. Like people like would look at me like, "What is this that you're wearing?" And I'm like, "This is Avatar. Like this is gonna like change the game." And so like I see the movie opening day, not midnight. And um, again, Rob Cinematis, Rob and I saw that back in high school, and I'll never forget as the movie ends and you hear Leona Lewis start singing about how she sees you. Rob turns to me and gives me the handshaking eh, gesture. And I went, oh God. Like this was like, this was my Phantom Menace moment. This was my, no, this this can't be bad. It's, it's me. I'm the reason why. It's not the movie. And I had, and then like, obviously as the movie took off in the winter of 2009 into 2010, people like kept seeing it. Like teachers would approach me and start talking about it, like out of the blue. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And like, I had to lie about enjoying it to save face. 
And then I saw it a couple months later, I think like almost like two months later, like in February again, and I didn't like it again. I'm like, this, this isn't good. Like as a kid, I'm like, this is not good. And since then, I've really not watched the movie in its entirety. Even before watching Avatar 2 in theaters, I did not watch the original. I did rewatch the original at, like sometime in the last month. And I will say on the record, it is like narratively based. I don't think it's a good movie. I think the first Avatar is a bad movie. Um, I think the special effects, again, you got to give credit where credit is due. But like if you're comparing it on the 2009 level, I still think District 9 is a better technologically advanced film than Avatar. Um, it's just that, like, what's his name? Neil Blomkamp has done nothing but just shoot his career in the foot time after time again since that movie. Um, but no, so, like, when I went to Avatar 2, like, obviously, it's a, again, my joke was Jimmy C gets a pass because he gave me Terminator and Titanic. If any other filmmaker disappointed me on this level, I would have just been like, nope, like, I'm done, like, like you don't get a second chance. So I will say when I went into Avatar 2, I had rock, rock bottom expectations. Um, just as like a like foreshadowing, it's gonna be the same thing that happens like going into Indiana Jones 5. Like, same thing, like best case scenario, this is an okay movie. Um so no, like so like again, that's just kind of my history with Jimmy C. Like fell in love with Titanic, of course, love 90% of his filmography outside of um og avatar the abyss is kind of a goofy mess the best part of the abyss is the making of when you hear about like he almost killed half the crew on that movie at numerous times during its like two year long production um but no jimmy c he he he's genuinely he's one of the few blockbuster auteurs still operating and you got to give him more power for it because no one will ever be able to do this again for the next 20 30 years i think it's just what he's known for like this i i really think like avatar one and two have more almost they have more in common with aliens than like anything else in jimmy c's catalog just because it's it's literally like a three hour terminator 2 3d battle across time you're just you're supposed to treat it as a ride almost it's like how people early on described star wars even it's like don't analyze the narrative too closely it's you know it's enough to just hang some visual experiences on like mark hamill said back in the day and it's just general general very vague not controversial moral principles with like cool designs all around it and it's obviously appealing to literally everyone now it i i i was like a little different i like you i was not i was not blown away by the original avatar when i first saw it but i, I wasn't like profoundly disappointed by it either i just it's it, it just sort of it, it existed for me like it did for a lot of people how the phenomenon where it was good if you asked me but will i be thinking about it for the next 12 years not very much but this for the way of water i had a feeling it was going to be good just because Jimmy C had been hibernating in Valhalla for so long. <laughs> Interesting choice of words. <laughs> like he just, you know, like it's just this. If it wasn't good, it was. It's really the end of the Jimmy C era. If it wasn't good, well, I know, but this is, but this is where you wonder. Like it almost feels like the success of this movie is preordained. Because like Avatar three is in the can, man. Like that's just a matter of just like he's put. He's literally polishing that film as we speak, and that's coming out. 22 months from now like that that is good this is not like disney or marvel where it's like in the constant like just like tumbler of like okay like maybe it'll come out maybe it won't this is like 
No Questions Had is coming out December 2024. Well, that would have been the case if it had done two thirds as good as Way of Water has done. They're obviously spending less to make three than they did to make this one. Like the the uh, the principle behind the first one was that, like, if there's interviews with Jimmy C from back around the time the first one came out, that it's like all the infrastructure and design work that we set up for Avatar, we're gonna make use of an Avatar too. Since so much time passed, I don't know how much that ended up actually being true because something tells me you can't use the same old computer models from twelve years earlier. Like, I'm I'm guessing the whole the whole like uh like infrastructure has changed over that amount of time but um obviously that's not the case for something that's coming out in a couple years so it and even if they filmed everything with the mocap and the actors that's clearly the least expensive part of the process for something like this so something tells me they'll be able to capitalize on the investment in the way of water uh and uh make some sort of uh, savings on the the uh, production process for the near term sequels. Oh yeah, no, like that's the benefit to filming any film back to back. It's always the gamble. Like if this, it, it's the whether it be the Matrix, the the Lord of the Rings. It's the idea. Like you really need it to sustain that that momentum for it to really be profitable. As the notion of filming both back to back. Like when it comes to Lord of the Rings, obviously it was more than profitable. Matrix, eh, not so much because this, the third one made half as much as that second movie did. But like filming in like massive air quotes is not is is like not even <laughs> real. What does it even mean right now? This in this situation, it means like basically nothing. It's like almost like previs and voice work. Yep. Like it's like you know how many how how many minutes of of live action actors would you say were in the way of water? Like five, if that, out of three hours and ten minutes or something. I, well, I always laugh. And this even goes back to OG Avatar being like when there's like a DP cre- uh, credited. And I'm just like, what does that even mean at this point? I'm like, what does lighting mean in a conventional sense when looking at these movies? It, I guess it depends how, m- how much they're involved in the lighting choices for the animated sequences. That's what I mean, though. But like, wh- like what does that mean? Because obviously there's technicians and then there's directors of photography, and that's two very different departments. So like it's probably more consulting than it is doing anything practical as like physically. Oh, oh yeah. Which is fine. It's just... All the same principles apply except for when it's fully animated. You don't have... Like you can have the effects of a light without having to see the source of it. So it's like... It it's you know, but I mean they don't do a whole lot of stuff like that because it just looks really unnatural. But uh, I mean, light sources are are still light sources uh, in an animated setting. So it, I guess it just depends how the creative uh, workflow goes. I'm guessing the director of photography has some input, and then and that's about where it ends. That's what I mean. Like, but I think I think at that point you go f- like. There's an argument to be made that the DP is almost like on set a technician, like a glorified technician, a very important technician. And then at this like level, it's more like you said, it's consulting more than it is refining something until it's perfect on location, on set, wherever it may be. So no, like I again, I've seen some of the behind the scenes stuff for this. Like it's almost because even watching the there's a great documentary on the Avatar Blu-ray, the three disc one that. I think is the last home video release he did of it. 
and it's great because like it's he explains it really well just how he was able to do all this and like you, like we all kind of just laugh at like when marvel like puts a little like dots on mark ruffalo and they're like look he's the hulk now hardy har har and then like years before that was even really a thing you have jimmy c explaining like what he was doing to sam worthington and zoe saldana and how just like how infinitely more technically intricate it is than how like marvel dumbs it down when you were saying you, you you think District Nine was more of a technical achievement than the first Avatar, like I could not disagree more. I watched uh, the first Avatar before going to this, and I enjoyed it way more than I remembered liking it. And I I couldn't believe that it was from two thousand nine watching it because it's it's they're blue, so it doesn't alienate you, pun intended. <laughs> but these are essentially human faces being animated like far better than they are in any other case i can reference like in terms of level of detail and like transfer of expressions and everything like it's just there's just nothing like this that exists but also keep in mind that like i i forget what the budget was for og avatar it, i think it's like 270 i could be wrong um again that's also in 2009 dollars 237 237 that's what it was and then like you look at like that though and you come and you compare that to like district nine's 30 million dollar budget at the same time period and like i said like this is not to be i'm not trying to make this into a debate though but like i remember in 2009 where obviously like avatar was the clear like runner against the hurt locker that eventually won all the oscars that year and being like district nine like relative to budget did so much more with visual effects than like the film that literally cost 10 times its budget. I know, but there's a difference between the prawns and, and the Navi in, in the sense that the Navi are just people to the point where it's actually, that's might be the, the how, how phenotypically similar they are to regular people is might be the least realistic thing about the movie <laughs> because it's just like, well, no, I, I get it. Cause avatar never dips into the uncanny Valley and that's, it's probably greatest like subtle achievement. And is it just because they're blue that you don't think about it that way? Like, I don't know. I don't know, but there's also been like, oh God, there's, I, I've read different articles about how like, obviously they have like Disney character eyes and they're designed to be like the most, Oh God, attractive form of like an extraterrestrial you could possibly imagine. So like there, there was also a certain level of like human psychology that also went into the design of the Navi that made them more palatable before the first like final image of Jake or Natiri was ever rendered. Right. Which is just Jimmy C uh, demanding that that is the case. And, and it's just so interesting to me that like what seems obvious and works is sort of frowned upon from a design perspective by like the rest of Hollywood by today's standards. You know, it's like, it's what, why do they, why do they shoot themselves in the foot and not do movies like this when clearly it resonates? Well, you know, well, you know exactly why it's the nature of the beast. It's, it's the scorpion, and the frog. It, it, it's exactly that he's one person. Like if let's just say for the, for the record, like imagine the universe where Avatar two bombs, Disney would not be taking the hit for this. They'd be putting it solely on his shoulders. They would be putting him out there in the town square and allowing him to be tarred and feathered. That's what would be happening. And and like again, in no universe was that ever going to happen. But fair enough. Well, no, but it, but in the one that does happen, that's Disney was never going to take the hit for this movie. It would have been bet they would have oh god if they didn't want to throw him under the bus, it would have been Fox. It was Fox's fault during the acquisition. 
Um, but again, look what happened to like Star Wars. Is that like when the Rise of Skywalker creatively stutters or whatever you want to call that, Disney just goes into like circling the wagons. Like nobody's to blame because there's so many freaking executives that dip their hand to the pot. Like think about it. again, I will never stop saying this. Before the movie even comes out, JJ Abrams is like, Yeah, you can complain about this movie, it's not very good. Like that was never going to happen with this movie. It was never – even if this movie made 50 cents, Jimmy C was going to always be there doing this is the greatest movie. It would be the Hannibal Burris like meme. Like why are you booing me? I'm right. Like there's never – and I think you need that level of ego. It goes back to the George Lucas, White Slavers, uh, Charlie Rose interview. Like you need – like a filmmaker is a professional gambler. You need someone that's going to roll the dice for better or worse and be like, I have a feeling we're going to do what's best in this situation and we're moving on. Not let's market research this to death and hope it works after 10 focus groups and 17 committee meetings. But think about think about what like what this represents as an IP. Like looking at the, the top 10 most successful films, it's the only one that doesn't have – source material that relates to t- like 10 previous films or an IP that was written for like 40 years ago. It's just like it, it's, it's just a shame that no one in Hollywood will take the correct message away from this, that, that you need to put someone like Jimmy C in charge and stand, stay out of their way to, to crack this list. I, but okay. I again, but he's also at the same time, he's a brand in of himself. Like you put Jane, like, and it doesn't work a lot because obviously, like, Phil- I think he used to be. There's so many people under 30 years old who have no clue who he is. Oh, no, absolutely. And that's where, like, I remember, again, this is in the lead up to Avatar 2's release that you would see a lot of these article stuff or, like, oh, God discussing people being like oh yeah like who what's he's directed like it's the same people who think titanic is a movie and not a historical event it, it's the and again for bad whether that be an indictment on the education system of the 21st century i don't know but yeah i i it's the ter- think about it like aliens as a franchise has been run into the ground terminator has been run into the ground true lies the abyss do not have any really outside of streaming HD. Like they're, they're not films that play. They're not marquee titles for Netflix and Amazon prime. So all there is, is Titanic, which again, I think a lot of dummies don't put two and two together avatar, which I think people became very, very cynical with after like the Marvel explosion in the early 2010s. And I again, I think the brand here is Jimmy C. And I think once they, oh God, kind of jump-started it, like I remember because the first trailer for this played in front of Doctor Strange 2 Multiverse of Madness back in the summer of 2022. And that was the – I remember seeing that opening day. And I think Doctor Strange 2 is the second highest or maybe it's the highest opening weekend of 2022. And I remember sitting through that and people sat there like you could tell like a palpable sense of excitement from the crowd when that trailer played because it was people like, oh, my God, like, wow, like like he's finally like, like this is happening. Even if you weren't a big movie person, like you were aware of like Avatar 2 finally being a, a product ready for human consumption. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's about time. Like, do I wish Jimmy C focused on more stuff? Do I wish he was able to turn out more than one film a decade at this stage of his career? I mean, but I mean, just think about how crazy it is. Like, not only is he 
got three of the top four highest grossing films of all time, but they're the most recent three films that he's done. It's it's even it's it like sure one came out in 1997. It's the only it's the only contemporary. Oh God, let me okay, let me rephrase that. It's the only film that's not contemporary that's on any of these lists. Think about it, it's the only film not released in the last ten years that's on any of these lists, and that is again a, te- a testament to just his understanding of how to resonate across languages, cultural barriers. Age demographics. It's semantics, but it's funny. But actually, it's not the only film that's older than 10 years that's on this list. Well, okay. Okay, taking the brand aside for this purpose. But yes, I get the point you're making. It's pretty funny. Like there was an amount of engineering that went into these these three movies that justifies their being on this list uh, amongst, you know, otherwise mostly disposable nonsense. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I said, like my my biggest thing, and I think this is always where Chris and I will disagree. But like, I at least understand, and I'm willing to accept Endgame's place on this list because if you like distill that for what it is, it's like what the 23rd film in a franchise that like that's been building all these pieces, and somehow it culminates in a way that's not a complete disaster. Um, I rewatched Endgame a couple days ago, and I was surprised at how well it plays on TV. Like I was doing laundry, like on a Sunday afternoon at like one p.m., and I just put the Blu-ray in, and I'm like, "Yeah, this is like good folding laundry, like like fodder." And I'm like, and I think that's the ultimate. Te- Again, everybody forgets, but like, if I'm willing to bet you, Chris, if you went out and polled people under thirty as to how they first experienced Titanic. It's most likely because mom or dad had it in the background like on a Sunday afternoon on TNT, like guaranteed. And I think the same thing, I haven't had cable now in a couple of years, but like I would suffice to say similar things about Avatar. It's, it's comfort food. It's like, it's like Jimmy C is the mac and cheese of cinema. Like it's not going to sit there like, like do like, oh God, like help you grow. But I do think that, like, it's also not going to give you cancer. It's not going to, like, I mean, okay, let me phrase it. Maybe it's not mac and cheese. Maybe it's, like, a really nice meatloaf with some mashed potatoes and green beans. Like, it's a very, it's a hard, it's a hearty meal. Like, it fills you up. It makes you feel good about yourself. It gives you energy. It doesn't give you, like, Ajda or the runs. Like, it's not Marvel. Like, Marvel is literally the equivalent of, like, eating a bowl of popcorn where you're, like, well, I'm still hungry. Like, it's a good thing I'm getting another bowl in like three months. Oh, this one has Spider-Man sprinkles on it. Yay. This might sound crazy, but like, I think that it's like, this is the closest thing to like an actual Star Wars movie that you're going to ever get. Like, it, it, it just is. It's comparable to what Star Wars once was, as in like. Oh, that's what I'm, that's of course what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about anything contemporary. It's he's the only again in preparation for this discussion. I was thinking a lot about this, and you think about it, and you don't really hear it a lot. Like I, I oh god, because Chris like obviously is a movie person. Like there's a lot. Of, there's been a lot of talk in the last last twenty years about like the heir to the Stanley Kubrick throne. Like one of my low key favorite movies of all time is Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson, directed by Jonathan Glazer, I believe. And I remember when that movie was being marketed and how I discovered it was like one of the taglines like was like by some critic, the heir to the Kubrick throne. And you look at – and I think about that and there's also this podcast I've been listening to for years 
by all means, a much larger podcast than this one, Blank Jack. And I've been listening to their series on Stanley Kubrick that they did in the latter half of 2022. And you hear about that and like, it feels like Jimmy C is like a combination of that. He, he's got, he understands the Kubrick level of perfectionism combined with the George Lucas populism. Like he might've cracked the code as to how to make quality cinema while also having those populist tendencies. Like he might be the Rosetta Stone, like you've been saying, as to how to have your cake and eat it too when it comes to cinema. The the crazy thing is what you're describing is like almost like an analytical perspective of how do I get the most people possible to resonate with this material? And you'd think that like a monster soulless corporation that just munches up ones and zeros about idiots would be able to figure out that. You know what I mean? You'd think it wouldn't be Jimmy C just saying, no, here's what we're going to do. You'd think it would be like relying on data about the audience to create Avatar, but that's not how it happened. But here, but here's a question for you. This is what I want to ask, and this is what makes Avatar different from Star Wars. Like, as we all know, and I think you and I are clear examples of that based on the backgrounds that we currently have, is like part of the reason why Star Wars resonates as well as it did was because of the merchandise, is that you were able to watch that movie in 1977, 80, 83, and you were able to bring the adventure home with you and if you were a kid, that was able to make your imagination explode and you became endeared to the property in a way that had never been done prior to Star Wars. And you look at Avatar and like I bought some Avatar merchandise in 2009 and yet and they did probably the same amount of merchandise now as they did in 2009. It's a lot better, but yeah. Yeah, quality wise, it's better, but just as in breadth of merchandise, about the same. I don't. Well, I don't know. I think this McFarlane line is going to go on for a while, and it has some crazy stuff. But continue. The thing is, though, is that like this film again. It's it's the weirdly enough, it's the Top Gun Maverick thing from earlier this year. A lot of people are seeing it. A lot of people are enjoying it, but it's not having that cultural reflection in other. Oh God, what would you even call it? mediums that you would expect it to like there's no like okay look chris just give you another example maybe this or even for the audience at home that's maybe not picking up on what i'm getting at like obviously like back in the day like when a movie did really well after like a month there'd be like an snl skit on it not modern day nsl uh snl which is a disaster but like back in the day like for titanic obviously there's an snl skit where like it's bill real bill paxton and he's sitting there he's like let me see the diamond rose let me see it and he like takes it and her and like oh god jimmy c's wife like beat up fake gloria stewart and the segment ends with jimmy c showing up like being like hi that was an alternate ending from my award-winning film titanic and it's real jimmy c and he's like i just want to thank you on behalf of myself and the studio for making me king of the world he lights a cigar with a hundred dollar bill like you don't see stuff like that anymore for these major blockbusters that clearly people are spending money for like it, you used back in the day there used to be this cultural like the equivalent of like throwing a stone in the pond. Like, yes, the movie was that initial ripple in the water. And then you'd see the little ones as it slowly petered out. You don't see that anymore. And that's why I find fascinating, not just about Avatar 2, but also about things like Top Gun Maverick. Where is that cultural resonance in, in, in the short term, as well as reflection in other 
cultural touchstones. I think that's just a general cultural shift. I think the reason merchandise was so like off the chain with the original Star Wars is because it was not practical for you to have that film in the palm of your hands two months after release. That's part of the reason why it was like kids just wanted physical objects and images of the movie because they couldn't go watch it again. Even by the time it came out on VHS in 82, yeah, a VHS player was a thousand dollars or something like that. Like not everyone had them. Right. And you know, that's why like, like when I talked to some of these older collectors, like the, some of the most important things they had were like, storybooks that had pictures of the movie because they're like that's the only reason i remember the movies because they had, had this i had this book with a picture of luke talking to biggs at anchorhead or something and i thought that was in the movie because that's i saw the movie once then i had this book for 10 years right and now it's like i think the disney plus day has already been announced for way of water and it's like you know it's not way off it's like a month from now or something and like it's, you know, it's probably going to still be in theaters when it hits Disney Plus. <laughs> like, like it's, it seems that way at this point. It's week seven at the top of the <laughs> box office. So uh, I just, you know, I think culturally just like maybe kids are buying less stuff um, as far as polymer based action figures. But that's and that's but this the reason why that's such an important question to ask right now is obviously you and I being not just fans of Star Wars. But also understanding just the cultural impact of contemporary Star Wars. Like we obviously all know the headlines about like, oh, in 2016, Star Wars merchandise was down 3,000% from the previous year. And then you look at Avatar and like I don't even think there was a – is there a mobile game for Avatar 2? Like something for kids to play on the iPad that they're handed like out of the womb? I believe there is like an actual game coming out. Yeah. Is there there is an avatar, an avatar like iPad game or is there a Fortnite skin? Chris, is there a Fortnite skin? Like I need to know, is there a Fortnite skin? <laughs> There's like a real game coming out. Well, sure. There was a real game in 2009 that like nobody liked except me. I liked the game in 2009 more than I liked the movie. This will probably yeah, like that was probably all right. I didn't I don't remember that one. But this is but this is the thing that's interesting though. Is that like it, like maybe less Chris and maybe more May. It's just understanding again like the sequel trilogy and like it also being a contemporary blockbuster franchise riding the coattails off of previous films larger than life successes is that like even um i'm not sure chris if you heard about this but like there's a comic book series for avatar it's three different volumes or graphic novel whatever you want to call it and it apparently it was the original idea for this film before jimmy c rejected it and it's three different graphic novels at 25 dollars a piece as someone who enjoyed this film the second film I'm like, oh, I want to go investigate this. So I went to my local Barnes and Noble and I saw they had like it was kind of shocking how many copies of this they had sitting on the shelf, which means not that many people were buying it because they had like eight copies of each of these three volumes. But like 70 and apparently like it is Avatar quote canon. And from what I was like looking into, kind of just like between just reading things online, YouTube articles and whatnot, it was YouTube videos, I mean, is like it gets really wonky. Like, like the Navi put on spacesuits and start like literally like just like blowing up like spaceships, like in like 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 orbiting Pandora. Like it's weird, weird stuff. And yet, like there's really no excitement 
like, is there an Avatar fan base? Like, it's it's the same thing as like Top Gun Maverick. Is there a Top Gun Maverick fan base? I don't think it's quite that bad. But how does it? But this is my question though. Has a film become the third or fourth highest grossing movie of all time, and it does not have any sort of fan base that you can point to? I think it's because the the film is the primary product. Is that what it is? Like, so these so like these Avatar fans. They go to the movie, spend their $15, sit in the theater for three and a half hours and say, I'm good for another 10 years. Witness the face of God. Yes, that's what they do. (laughs) Fair. Given made available to you, made made available to you by no one else ever. Is, Is that really what it boils down to? Is that like nothing else like is on the same level? So it's just like why like I don't I don't need anything. I and this is where I mean it goes back to the ma- the the meatloaf, mashed potatoes and green beans. It gives me everything I need so I'm not hungry for dessert afterwards. Uh yeah, because it's 3 hours and 10 minutes and like who wants dessert after that? It's it's self-contained. It's so great that it's like they, like I don't know I, I don't I wonder how this evolved narratively but like I think it actually takes place slightly more than the actual amount of time that has passed since the first movie came out because like some of the kids are like six it's about 10 years from what my understanding is it's about 10 years so well it can't be because the kids are older than that oh, i don't it's, know it, like do we know like what what the hell is a not i don't know chris it's a navi like lord knows how it ages like how's even jake like jake's like test tube baby body like even like age like wouldn't you if you're designing a, like a body in avatar why would you even make it age why would you put that in there uh, for for God, for God's <laughs> sake, Zach! You don't. It, it it that's just the result of mitosis aging. You can't just you can't you can't engineer it out. I they they probably yes you can. They, did you see Edie Falco drinking out of a coffee mug with her like mech suit? Like, come on, Chris, this is a deranged. It's it, it's in the movie. The whale juice stops aging, but it's hot. It's it's exactly. Why wouldn't you pour that over the avatars? Because it's too expensive. They just clone a new quaritch and instead of using the expensive whale juice on them okay so like (laughs) okay so we're gonna slowly transition away from the philosophical aspects of avatar into like the content chris have you speaking of like tangential jimmy c stuff have you i would imagine you've seen uh arnold schwarzenegger's the sixth day right Uh, of course i have how else would you mark a generation of clone other than putting a little dot under their eyes which also makes no sense thank you thank that is the, the most correct answer one could possibly give to that question so, like, I have a question. So, like, when all of Quaritch's guys, except for one, is killed throughout the course of the film, are they just going to be recloned back together? Like, does he have to give his syncording at the end of, like, every day? So, like, in the event that, like, unexpected death happens? Like, is that a thing in, like, Avatar, Navi, Pandora, RDA world where, like, you can live forever? Forget about, like, oh, God, whale gold juice. You can just they, we can just keep cloning you into oblivion, like. Well, you know that's one of the things that always bothered me about about the sixth day, <laughs> because it's just like these these goons that keep getting recloned. They sort of act as if, like you know, they don't remember exactly what happened because it's like their memories are up to you know it's 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 very explicitly uh, um, said by Quaritch in this movie where he's like, you know, you're he's literally tells him for the audience who doesn't understand how this works. I don't remember anything after the point where my brain was copied. <laughs> so like, I don't actually know what happened to me or, or else you wouldn't be watching this video. Right. So it's, 
it's it's just it's so this is why the whale juice is important zach because it's not you it's just not you you died your conscious experience ended so but this is the thing though and this is what's so fascinating about this movie and that like if if this movie was the exact same movie it's in but it was called batman v superman people would be destroying it right now for so many plot inconsistencies and that's the thing like this movie like like this movie is the ultimate. And again, this is not a knock against the movie. It treads water. Like it, it, it's the poor man's version of the Empire Strikes Back. In that, really, the only the only meaningful thing that happens in this entire movie is the oldest son dies, and it doesn't even seem like Jake and Natiri care that much. Like the only lesson that's learned throughout the entire course of this movie, and it's pretty much summed up in a neat bow in the last 15 seconds, is that Jake Sully goes, running bad, we must fight colonizers, which was pretty much what he did in the first movie. And again, this is not meant to be a detriment to the film itself. It's like, again, it's more of a explore, a very limited exploration of the world. A very contained exploration of the world. Well, I think that Avatar 2, released three years after Avatar, would have been um, an actual sequel. And 12 years later, it has to be like a soft reboot that reintroduces all the Gen Zs to the world. Is that is that? I think that's what it has to be. And they just used... They just shifted the canvas to uh, to the Sea Tribe to just give the returning audience something different to look at while the rest of the new spenders who weren't um, consumers at the time the original movie came out need to be reintroduced to the franchise. And I don't know. I think, I think it's possible for me because it's like, what do you like? If you look at uh, the predicament, the Navi are in like they're like, and I think, you know, this is going to get weird when in the sequels, because it that's where it's going to start to feel really implausible. But like, they really shouldn't they really shouldn't have any reasonable prospects of doing anything about the situation just be (laughs) (laughs) that is maybe the most chris answer you could possibly give to this you know what i mean though like but that's why i sort of i sort of accept the fact that jake sort of just went crazy and like he's like you know what like i'm just gonna have a family because basically i'm trapped here and and resource wise we can't compete with these invaders. So I might as well just try and live out my life as peacefully as I can. Cause it's a big planet and we just avoid these guys for a while. And, and, and cause like, like, you know, just realistically speaking, the amount of technology they're up against is just kind of unfathomable. And we got to look in this movie at what will no doubt uh, be a bigger deal in the sequels, which is, I think it's called bridgehead city where it's like in the last 10 years since the previous movie, they really set up a massive uh, base of operations uh, on Pandora. So that's obviously just going to get wrecked in avatar four or whatever it is. (laughs) So, so they're going to be able to capitalize on their design of bridgehead city when it just gets overrun by space rhinosaurus rhinoceros and whatnot but um (laughs) yeah i I don't know man i think that i think i think it's been so like i think that's really just what it comes down to it's been so long that they had to sort of softly reintroduce us to the story i will say one of the reasons why i enjoyed this more than the first movie is that watching the first movie back in 2009 rewatching it a couple weeks ago was 
at no point in that first film do I ever feel the RDA is like, you've convinced me they're evil. Like they cut a tree down. I'm like, that's kind of the most egregious thing they do throughout the entire movie. In this, in the first 10 minutes, we watch, and this would probably should have how the first movie should have began. We see all the spaceships like deaccelerating and they just literally scorch earth like what? Probably a like 100 mile radius of just area on Pandora. Just what? We see the flame just engulf. Forget about like the again, just the trees, the the foliage, everything, the birds, the weird panthers, the the rhinoceroses, and you see like obviously the dropships open up, and we see the uh, the the amp suits walk out with their serrated like knife guns, and that's how your first movie should have began. Like in all honesty, like watching this the first time. The first, I'd say, 40 minutes, I kind of love because this is what I want. I want to see the Navi insurgency against the RDA. That's what I want. And I think like, oh, this is interesting because it's coordinated. It's not like the thing that we saw in the first movie where it's like, Awa has heard you. Like it's not the grandiose like, look, it's it's everybody coming together. It's 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 not as obnoxious. Again, I think that third act of Avatar is so obnoxious. Again, with like, and I will say that even Stephen again, Stephen Lang is doing exactly what he was hired to do in that first movie. But like that first movie, so obnoxious, where it's like he's like, it's Papa Bear coming in on Dragonfly. Like, let's get me home for dinner, boys. And I'm like, it's so like, it's like, if you're a military person watching that 2009 film, like, how are you not insulted? Like, this is how like future like like oh god veterans like behave like how are you not insulted like even there's some scenes in that like when Quaritch in the first film is like oh god addressing everybody like in the mess hall and like you have these kind of like redneck guys like like in like stained white t-shirts like picking their belly button it's like how, like is this is this what like veterans do now and the film establishes that like everybody that's part of like the military part of the rda are like veterans um like very insulting. And then like you get to this movie, the second one, and like you – in the whole thing with Quaritch, like again, Quaritch is such a mustache twirling villain in the first one. And in this, he feels like a genuine character. Like it feels like, oh, he actually has something to do. Like it, it's an interesting spin on having the villain – I don't want to say go native, but learn the ways of the indigenous people – and but do it to a very ambiguous end. Like by the end of the movie, like obviously Quarch lays it out to Jake and he's just like, I'm not gonna stop until you and your whole family are dead. I will never stop. It's the weirdly enough, like just I, I don't even think it's a bloodlust. And obviously I think they've set up Quarch very, very subtly to be an anti-hero. Because him sparing Spider is clearly meant like, okay, this guy's not completely gone, but he clearly hates this family. Like he hates them. He hates the color blue. There's a lot more interesting stuff going on here than people are going to give it credit for. Like, like Quaritch is like an just interesting as an idea in this movie because in the in the last one, you know, he's like, oh, you like get me get me home by dinner and all that. Like he's he has no life anymore. He's literally an asset that has no home to go back to that would want anything to do with him. So if his if his usefulness as a military asset is sort of expended, it's like what 
what is what does a retired avatar do <laughs> you know what i mean like he's there's no purpose to his existence beyond catching jake's jake sully and it's like it's you get the impression that uh the the human uh the human uh, project on pandora is actually not it's like it's annoying that jake is knocking over trains once in a while but it's almost like it's the way it's presented to us it's like not they're not it's not a big enough problem that all of the resources are going towards that in fact it's Quaritch and five guys and they're even gonna have to temporarily take over a whaling boat because we're not giving them we're not unlocking the keys to the city for these guys to use whatever they need like we see more amp suits in the first like five minutes than the amount of resources that are given to Quaritch to track down Jake. So it's just like, this is not even a priority. Killing Jake's not even a priority for the humans. Really? It's he's a nuisance. Well, that's, and that's what I think I, I, after watching this a second time yesterday, my conclusion is the third film has to be about the humans, the RDA terraforming the planet. Correct? Like that has to be the end game to this. Like that's like the humans are going to terraform the planet we have to stop them at all costs, right? Like there, there's no other end game to this. Because they do make the comment about like Earth is dying. Like him and Edie Falco go back and forth a couple of times about that. Like it's because again, isn't the comment made that like this isn't long or just a, like a rinky dink mining operation? I mean, it's still, it's no, I mean, it, it depends. I think Jimmy C will like, like as funny as this sounds, I think he still like sort of maintains like, a, a guise of realisticness about this and like at the end of the day no n- there's no way a a substantial percentage of a human population ever leaves earth like it's not a it's not a thing that happens like you can start a you can't oh, you can't evacuate earth say it's literally like beyond an impossible thing to do like in terms of like more than half of the population for example so it's it's like it, because it takes so much energy for them to get there. They you're, they got this city, but like it doesn't look like as far as cities go, it's not much, that much of a it's not an insane city. Right. So it's like if they're not going to take over the whole planet. And this is where it gets into the weird thing of like some of these guys are just like cartoonishly evil to the point where you almost don't believe them as real characters like the like the whaling captain. Just like just the, his comments and attitude are just like you. There's not there's not real people who are like quite like so self-aware, like as far as their verbal commentary, like generically evil people. It's like, and like you have the biologist who is always like, like when the biologist says, that's why I drink like, Oh my God, could you guys calm down? <laughs> Cause like, like who, like, you know, this is, but, but then you realize, you know, because that's why it's so generally appealing. Cause like, all the idiots in the audience who wouldn't have got that unless the guy said, that's why I drink now get it. And it's the third, <laughs> the third highest grossing film of all time. Right. Or fourth, uh, soon to be third, hopefully. But, uh, what can you do? What can you do? He's going to be fighting with himself pretty soon. But even, but even the thing too, going back to the, the whalers, cause even when they're hunting the Tolkien, like it's the whole thing of like the uh, core, just like, like go get one from over here. And they're like, we can't do that. Like they bomb with these ones. Like if we do that, we're going to start a war with them. So like even the RDA is aware of like where the boundary is. Like this is where we don't mess the Navi. Like we can do our own thing and they'll leave us alone, which even the wa- the sea people are very much like, yeah, like they don't come near here. They leave us alone. So we're not like, we don't want your war here. 
and that's the thing. Like, it seems like there's like a weird, I don't want to say like line in the sand between the Navi and the RDA, but they, they've really outside of the little like piece of land that they've carved out for themselves in their giant city that has like 30 miles of just barren wasteland between the forest and it. So like if anything even gets remarkably close, they have giant what like, oh God, like Skynet level turrets like on like the fence surrounding the perimeter of the city. I don't know. Like we really don't know like what the thing about because at no point during the Edie Falco Quaritch scenes are we aware of like what her goal is here outside of just Jake Sully is causing like a nuisance for us. Like he doesn't she say like he's interrupting supply lines <laughs> like 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 that's the extent of his like again he's causing a ruckus but he's not fundamentally interfering with their plan. Yeah, well that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. It's just like he's like there like the amount of assets you see come down at the beginning of the movie is like unthinkable compared to what's on display in the movie in terms of like the climactic battle right like the climactic battle is on a boat that's like the size of like a ferry that you take across the hudson basically (laughs) (laughs) like you know what i mean after you see these spaceships coming down and it's like but that's what i mean though like this this like whereas the first movie is again like death star x-wing trentron this is like the equivalent of just like vader and 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 luke fighting on bespin it's very scaled down intentionally so. And like we really can't neglect too that like Jimmy C is also a child of Star Wars. Like he's told the story numerous times like he was like a truck driver and then he watched that film and he's just like I don't like – I never want to do anything but make movies for the rest of my life. So like there, there is that aspect of it too there. He understands that you have to go kind of very intimate in your second act – and then let your third act kind of explode. But like what? How many like Avatar sequels are there? How many has he promised at this point? Like what? We're up to five? I think it's he hasn't said any, anything beyond five. But it, that, it'll be so interesting to see like like three has to – like three has to make less money than two. But, but like where where does where, where does five land well that's what i mean though it's the, that's never been done in this sort of way like even like as much as we laugh at the marvel machine like what like a true test of the idea of like making a fourth and fifth like super duper mega blockbuster has never been attempted even fantastic beast which was planned as like a five film series has more or less ended at chapter three because the second one just like imploded upon himself on itself for many many reasons i don't know like we even star i guess star wars would be the only closest like example to that but that's always been in multiples of three so it doesn't really follow the same practice as like a fourth and fifth chapter well it it, i i guess the stakes are lower as like we were saying earlier, like there's theoretically three and four should be more economical than two just for due to existing assets and all that. Um, but I just, I just, I don't know, man, I think we're going to see this, this top 10 highest grossing films of all time. And I think there's going to be more than two avatars on it. I don't know if there's gonna be more than three, but I think at, at when this is all over, there'll be more than two on it and it's going to be hilarious. I don't know. Like I said, I I really don't know because the third. But the thing is that this film does not end on the sort of second film cliffhanger that you would expect. It doesn't have that empire moment. It doesn't have that two towers moment. 
like it doesn't have that moment that says you have to absolutely see three to see how this story concludes. Like you can very easily end it here. Like it's very self-contained, which you got to give it credit for, for a sequel. It's not the Marvel thing of like, Oh, stay, stay tuned through the credits because like the villain's hands going to poke up through the rubble like carries. Well, that's because Jimmy C understands how to make top 10 highest grossing films of all time they should be self-contained but how many times can he do this though like inevitably the law of averages will start to like poke its head in like like he he can only do this for so long he's not infallible he is human (laughs) despite what he might think about himself but yeah i mean like just look i don't know like is he like looking back it makes me (laughs) looking back it makes me think that i need to rewatch piranha 2 (laughs) <laughs> because like to be fair he was thrown off that eventually like that is not he did not see that through the completion so like that cannot entirely be judged as a jimmy c film well that's the only one that i'm not positive is amazing the abyss isn't amazing it's not it's solid but it's not amazing oh man i don't know it's got i mean it's it's middling like maybe it was it was maybe it wasn't amazing for 1989 but like compared to modern times it's pretty amazing that that goes for anything like you can't like okay like is somebody like most of the like entertainment world like i'm waiting for he's promised in quotation marks that the abyss and true lies will get a blu-ray release in march um that better happen because like i really really want to watch the abyss like outside of dvd quality like i showed my girlfriend true lies and i broke out like the 1999 dvd and i'm just like this is like embarrassing i'm like like i get it he's embarrassed in the movie because he doesn't want to like do the idea of terrorism is funny but like it's embarrassing to have to show some like in true lies like this is a movie like it has its moments and I have to like show someone for, again, I'm like 4k, like 70 inch TV. I'm like showing someone a 480p DVD. And I'm like, I'm so embarrassed right now. You could have, you could have paid for the digital rental. It would have looked better, Zach. No, that's a sin. We don't, we don't give, no, that, no, I don't let that sort of evil into my house, Chris. You should know better. It's a physical copy or bust. The fact that the fact that true lies exists and, and is amazing shows Jimmy C's versatility and it shows that he might not be human. I don't know, man. Like, like, uh, okay. Like, I don't know how familiar the audience is at home. Unfortunately, we have not done demographic studies on the Knights of Vader audience. But like, like, there's some great Jim. Can we delve into real quick some Jimmy C stories that like are legendary? Um. Well, you know, if if you're in the, I mean, you're probably going to talk about the Abyss, but you can if you're in the, if you're in the Knights if you're in the Knights of Vader Facebook group, you'll see a 32 minute video of from that would appear to be from the mid 80s or early or, or very early 90s of jimmy c just talking out of camera about his lsd trips for half an hour oh yeah that that's pretty wild stuff but like not even that though but like just like i give you an idea to how he like just the i don't want to say arrogance but just how he view like his how he views himself but like the story is and i'll always love this like the jimmy c pitch meetings like this goes back to like like if anybody ever questions my affinity for jimmy c like it goes back to og cinemas like jimmy c walks into like the board of directors of like 20th century fox in like 1994 and like he has like a like a port i don't want to say a portrait but like a painting of the titanic and he's like rain Ro- like romeo juliet and points to like the painting and they're like sold they're like how many zeros in the check, Jimmy C? 
And my joke was during Man of Steel or Batman v Superman, we discussed that was Zack Snyder did the same thing, but instead it was 9-11 footage. <laughs> and it's like instead of terrorists in the plane, it's Superman. And Warner Brothers is like, how many zeros in the check, Mr. Snyder? But like Jimmy C has those legendary stories where like for aliens, like he walks into the pitch meeting again with 20th Century Fox and he's like – he writes on a dry erase board, alien, and then writes – a letter S afterwards, it makes a dollar sign out of it. Like, like there's such a level of just like, like we talk about like BDE and I'm not going to say the full thing because I don't want to have Chris have to edit it any further, but like that's bonkers, man. And like, like there's also stories too, like when he was making like the OG avatar, like in 2006, like he was going to Fox and he's like, yeah, like I want like a two, like, like a $250 million budget. And they were like pushing back a little bit on him because like he hadn't made a movie in like eight years and he's like, do you know who I am? <laughs> it's like, like you have to like admire that level of just like, it's beyond self-confidence. Like it's literally like, I am a cinematic God. Like no one's ever going to come close to me. Like the closest there is now is again, is what the, um, oh God, the guys who did Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. And that's again, part of a machine, not a torrent. But I mean, but look at it though. There's no reasonable expectation that anyone else will ever have three out of the top 10 highest grossing films of all time. Like there's just, it's not reasonable to expect that will ever happen. Certainly not in our lifetimes. No. And that's what makes him so fascinating and also kind of disappointing that he'll never do anything but Avatar movies. Um, but again, like, but like we should say too, like this would be like devil's advocate for a moment that like, he did do things like he he makes a very big point in like saying like I really helped shape Terminator Dark Fate, which was like a Knights of Vader discussion from like three plus years ago. But like he makes a big point of being like I was really hands on with that movie in a way that like I really have never been with a movie before that I didn't direct. And that, oh God, that couldn't have crashed and burned any more than like anything else. And he does take credit. He's like, yeah, it was my idea to kill John Connor in the first five minutes of the movie. Like kid John Connor gets like a shotgun to the face. And like, he's like, that was my idea. Like nobody wanted to do that but me. I fought for it and it didn't work. Like that's my mistake. So I, I, again, so he's not infallible. He's not. The thing is though, but he's doing that while at the same time, like, knowing what's going to happen when Avatar 2 comes out. I'm telling you, man, I think he does. I think it's funny because he's like, you know, he's playing. It's like there's I forget what what it's. I forget how this is an old clip, but like Jimmy sees on the red carpet for something and somebody's talking about how crappy Alien vs. Predator 1 and 2 are. And he's like, yo, come on, James. Can we get you back to another Aliens movie? We can't keep getting this crap Alien vs. Predator stuff. And Jimmy C like looks at him. He's like, you know what? you came this close to convincing me to drop everything and do that right now. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, like, I I think he'll play around with that. Like he'll, like he'll tell some, he'll tell some McGee, like what if Arnold's (laughs) real old and like, it's because he is Terminator has been sitting around and he's like, you know, he's just like tripping out being like, wouldn't this be cool? But like, I don't think he'd, I don't think he would like get that experimental and, and on some, I don't think he'd be that experimental with something that had his director's credit. I think he's playing around with ideas. He's writing comic books. I'll put it this way. I think you're on the right path. I think he kind of shoots from the hip when he's helping others. 
But like even for this film, I remember reading articles where he's like, before we even wrote a script, even did a story like outline for Avatar 2, I had my writer's room. And he had a writer's room for this. It was like six or eight people in this writer's room. And he had them condense and distill what made the first Avatar so popular. He had them boil it down to its essence. And he's like, before we even work on an idea for the second film, I want you all to discern what made the first film resonate on a worldwide level. I think, he, again, I you, you can't – again, maybe he has figured out the, the, the recipe to success. Maybe he has. Maybe he's – and that's what you get for 10 years of like sitting behind a closed door and he's able to just devote all of his mind to it and just meditate on it. I don't know, do a, a little uh, baggie full of Lord knows what drugs. Like, clearly, he understands how human beings work in a way that maybe nobody else in the history of entertainment has. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know, man. It, it, it's, uh, it speaks to me in a way that in a way that nothing else on the on this top 10 highest grossing films of all time list speaks to me like they are. You know, I, I'm, I barely, you know, I barely consider any of the rest of that stuff movies. It's heartwarming to me that like something that at least has some interesting things going on can crack into that list because it seems like it's that would automatically disqualify it in most cases. I real quick because Chris and I have been going back and forth for a while, like in like like DMs, the Knights of Vader group chat about the legitimacy of like the worldwide top 10 highest grossing films of all time. Like real quick, I just want to break that down for like the listeners at home and for Chris in real time. So now, as of January 30th, 2023, here is the top 10 in descending order. Number 10 is the OG Avengers, 2012. I think that is a legitimate spot. I think that's legitimate because I actually read an article a couple of years ago about the Avengers, something that like... I don't want to get too far into it because I think it's kind of like going down the rabbit hole, but it was really kind of a profound understanding as to why that film did as well as it did for for North America or maybe at the very least American audiences. But we'll save that for another. I think that's a legitimate claim. Nothing – think about it, A crossover film at that scale had never been done before. Even if you don't like the contents of the film itself, it was novel in that a crossover level of that magnitude had never happened before. I mean, well, what, but outside of the MCU, what is a crossover film? But he never, but again, keep in mind, that was the first, again, that was, think about before the Avengers, Iron Man was a consistent $300 million domestic film that doubled its gross worldwide. So it got to 600. Everybody forgets Thor and Captain America didn't even cross $200 million. Like those films barely broke even in 2011. Like, which shows what's clearly wrong with society because, like, the first Avenger is like kind of a movie, but I don't know. It if- is. I love this day. It's one of my favorite comic book movies of all time. Exactly. I don't know if I would not say the same about Avengers. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but you have to admit there is a not a novelty aspect to it. I I am that guy. I tried watching it and stopped after 20 minutes. Yeah. Again, I don't. I'm not particularly thrilled with the first Avengers movie, but I, I can justify its its position here. Let's just put it that way. Um, moving on. Number nine is, and I've said this now for three years straight, the Dead Behind the Eyes Lion King like remake. That I I cannot defend. Um, it's insane that, that film made 50 bucks, never mind 
$1.6 billion. Literally insane. You don't even need to go any farther to show how crazy this list is. Like, talk about <laughs> talk about having talk about having literally like people say, "Oh, Avatar is on the list," but they have no cultural impact. The Lion King CGI remake has like negative cultural impact. Like, it's it's like its '90s 2D version is the only thing that exists in the cultural zeitgeist. Yes. It was Disney cashing in on cultural nostalgia. That's all it is. It's a creatively bankrupt company knowing knowing what it does best. It might be the most self-aware act in the history of the Walt Disney Company uh, of the last 35 years. But they've tried it with all their other movies and the rest have not performed like that, right? Well, Jungle Jungle Cruise almost made a billion dollars. Um, it finally like started to collapse with like Dumbo and things like that. Like I do think that new Little Mermaid movie, which I did get a trailer for, I think it's going to make some money. It'll probably be profitable. But I don't think – again, nobody like, – they're, they're making a move like, – this is the thing I got to say about the Lion King's Dead Behind the Eyes remake is that they are making a Mufasa movie. They are doing a CGI Lion King Mufasa prequel. How can they not? Exactly. And this goes again, we'll we'll get to it, but again, it's one of those things where like I don't know, man, like to me that is probably the most disheartening uh disheartening entry on this list. Number 8 is Jurassic World. I, I there's no shortage of my comments on that film for the record. Um go check out the Infinite Cinematis discussions on that film series. Um it, cashing in on nostalgia that's lackluster nostalgia i i think that culturally when you have directors like tim burton tim burton reflecting on his dumbo experience is like some of the most priceless stuff ever you know he's here's a direct quote on, about from tim burton while i'm working on dumbo dumbo was what made me realize that my days with disney are done i realized that i was dumbo that I was working in this horrible big circus and I needed to escape. Can you imagine like, like, you know, John Favreau, like, like, like morphs into the circus and, <laughs> and like, be- <laughs> and like becomes part of it and embraces it. But it's the same experience. You know what I mean? Like, but, again, but like you can, you could literally write a novel on John Favreau and like his career in Hollywood. Like think about him in swingers back during the nineties. This is a guy that's wanted nothing but to be part of the club. That's all he wanted. He want, he's that guy. Like, okay, look at it this way. He's that guy, like in his early twenties, figuratively speaking, that is that gets a bunch of tattoos, a bunch of piercings, a bunch of Lord knows what else. And then like wants, then like at the end of the day, wants to be part of the establishment. Like he want again, like and that's what Swingers is. Swingers is the cinematic equivalent of a bunch of tattoos and piercings. But at the end of the day, just wants to be wants to be a big wig at the at the country club. That's what it is. He wants to, he wants to be part of the establishment, and that's why I've always rejected him when he got involved with Star Wars. Is because like I remember reading stories in 2010, like after uh, Iron Man two, he thought that film was going to destroy his career. 
He was so ready after that film like was about to like be released that like he was like treating it like an atomic explosion. He could not get far enough away from it. And then that film made more money than the first Iron Man did and he could not jump back. Like, and that's the reason why he didn't get to direct uh, The Avengers. That's why he went with Joss Whedon because like he had distanced himself so far from the Marvel machine because he was afraid that film was going to just destroy him that when that film did happen, he got saddled with like an executive pr- producer thing and he had to really claw his way back into it with iron man 3 and he was basically he wasn't even he was barely a producer he was an actor on it more than he it had any creative input in the film itself and that's what it is and that's what again he if anybody is a hollywood grifter it's john favreau like not saying that he's not intelligent i'm not saying that or talented but he's somebody who wants to be the establishment like that's what he wants to be. Like he is to bring this back to Avatar too. He is Navi Miles Quaritch. This is somebody who got purged from the machine and wants to be part of it so badly, even though it's in, like almost a crime against nature. Its existence. It's well. That's what I'm saying. That's you know you you have the the crime against nature machine comprising. I mean, you're working your way through the top ten, and like I know, I, I see, I see, I see seven out of ten being crimes against nature on this list for the most for the most part. So you know, it's just funny to see like that Lion King's on there. You got guys like Tim Burton being like, "It was the worst thing I ever did." Basically, like doing a Disney live action remake. Not, I guess I don't want to veer too far away from like the Avatar talk, but like, what do you do if you're Tim Burton? And like, how old is Tim Burton now? Like. God be in his 60s? I bet you he's 70. Is he 70? Okay. I don't know. I don't know if that's on my head. I'll, but like can you imagine being Tim Burton on the set of Dumbo in the late 2010s and you have some 24-year-old executive come up to you and tell you, yeah, you can't do that. Can you mentally like wrap your head around that? Some 24-year-old executive telling Tim Burton, you can't do this. Okay. Well, he first of all, yeah, okay. My bad. He's 64. So he's got, he's got a couple more good ones in him, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, – uh, but you know that's why. But I mean, look at it. This, that's why Spielberg left Indiana Jones, man. Because some twenty-year-old, twenty-four-year-old exactly. dingus was like, uh, "You can't have Indiana Jones be uh, be chased by <laughs> some, some Amazon tribe. That's, we don't do that anymore." And Indiana, he's like, "Well, why why are we making an Indiana Jones movie? And we're all going to find out that that was a valid question very soon." But um, you know, like it was literally creative differences is the official reason why Steven Spielberg left Indiana Jones five, which means they wouldn't let him do the story he wanted to do. Yep. I know, man. Like, have you ever heard of, have you ever heard of such a crazy thing in your life? So he, instead he goes to make the Fablemans and actually get credit as a good filmmaker when it, when it, with it, with it. I'll take it one step before that, Chris, this is the guy that got ready player one made, which has what a thousand and one IPs in it and was able to appease all of these different intellectual property owners. It's just show, but it's like, but it's just like, it's it's just, they're taking the wrong message again from all of this. You know what I mean? It's just like, Indiana Jones is not going to be on this list. It, no, it's not. <laughs> like, it's funny. I, I will say real quick, and I want to just, like I said, because the rest of the, I will just say, just to kind of tie up the uh, top five, like top 10 movies. After Jurassic World, it's Spider-Man No Way Home. I don't know if you have anything controversial to say about that. I think it's fine for what it is. Fine and forgettable. Yeah, it's fine. Like it's cute. It has its moments. Infinity War, I think, is a bad movie. Um, number five is uh, Jar Jar Abrams' is The Force Awakens. And after that, you delve into the Avatar, Titanic, Avengers, and uh, 
OG Avatar. So like it, it pretty okay. much unfolds from there. Oh, it's so uh, so Fast and Furious isn't on there anymore. That's good. <laughs> you and, yes, Fast and Furious Seven is now number eleven. So it got knocked out of there by the way of water. Oh, amazing. Chris, you, I know, I know. We were we, for the audience at home. Chris and I were arguing about this in like uh, DMs. Furious Seven. I don't know if it deserves a spot in the top ten, but like Paul Walker died, man, during principal photography, and they had to salvage that in the moment. Like, and that's James Wan. This is the guy who's like primarily known at this point. This is before Aquaman. This is the guy that's known as the horror person, and this was his first shot at the big leagues, and he not just handled a big budget production but handled one of the titular stars dying during for in a car accident to boot and did it tastefully and gracefully like that alone like for take out the contents of the movie itself as for handling a tragic event in the most tasteful graceful way possibly i can forgive that film for being as high as this you got to give you got to give credit where credit is due in that regard. That's that's a hard thing to figure out. I don't know, man. A lot of people die all the time. But not Imagine if in a Star Wars film, Alan Guinness like was playing with a laser and like decapitated himself. Like there's a difference there. Like lead actor dies in a car accident during filming. Well, we had the we had the opportunity for Carrie Fisher to have been a character in the sequel trilogy, but they, the producers opted to not really make her a character. So it, it was one <laughs> such a disaster when she died. So, okay. At least Carrie Fisher didn't die. Like being on like a spaceship or something. It wasn't like Carrie Fisher's like Richard Branson invited me to go up into space. Like, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was an airplane on pills. Like it was pretty on brand. <laughs> So we're going to definitely get a negative review for that. At some point, someone's going to leave us a zero out of five review based on that comment, Chris. At some point, somebody. For, for, the, dis- for the disgruntled listener at home, please forgive him. Not at, not at all. Anyone who – if you ever watched Carrie Fisher's stand-up, she would not be mad about that comment. Like, you always got to get over it. No, she, no, no, no. She wouldn't be mad, but the people who don't understand how Carrie Fisher worked will be mad about it. She, 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 wasn't, she wasn't meant to die an, an a old, boring person. It's just the way it goes. <laughs> what, what can you do? No, like I said, Carrie Fisher was going to Carrie Fisher, for better or worse. Um, but no, but like, okay, but real quick, going, this kind of ties into, um, I want to go real quick into like the, the many many theatrical presentations of Avatar to the way of water because there are literally no shortage of them. There, there's one correct way to watch it, but continue. There, Yes, you're correct. There is one correct way to watch it, but I want to kind of tr- slow – I just want to quickly like track my odyssey through figuring out which way to watch Avatar to the way of water. So like the moment tickets went on sale, I pre-ordered them for an IMAX theater in Danbury, Connecticut. This has been the IMAX movie theater I've been going to for the vast majority of my life in New York. And so like the Thursday afternoon showing like before the movie like officially quote unquote released, I saw it in Danbury, Connecticut. I was looking forward to the high frame rate. I have not seen a high frame rate movie since um, Ang Lee's Gemini Man. And I forget when that movie came out, 2017, 2018. And – I like watch the movie and I'm like, okay, like it doesn't like I, I was having a hard time discerning what was high frame rate and what wasn't. So 
a couple of days later, I wanted to see the movie again just because I wanted to really just like watch it again but scrutinize it a little bit more. So I found a YouTube channel named Shane Lee and he primarily does like for the most part home video presentation reviews whether it comes to like speakers, Blu-ray players, TVs, some movies here and there. So he did a video on best ways to watch Avatar The Way of Water. And he's beginning his review and he begins and he's like, so I watched this movie twice over the weekend, opening weekend. The first time I saw it in IMAX and I saw it at the 3 p.m. showing in Danbury, Connecticut. And I'm like, oh, talk about a genuine one-to-one comparison. And as the review elaborates, and it's great, like I'm watching this in real time. And he's like, yeah, like this Danbury showing was like, not that it was bad, but like, it wasn't good. Like it's like they're like IMAX like projectors, like 2K resolution at most. It doesn't have high frame rate capabilities. And like I want Chris to know to note for the record, this is literally what I did as I was watching this review. Like I physically deflated. I I, I was just like, oh, oh, I'm just like. I'm I'm the schmuck, I guess. <laughs> like, well, uh, yeah. Well, so like, like I would like to confirm that you that you probably are, if you couldn't tell if it was high frame rate or not. But so you're saying you're saying when you thank you, Chris. You're you're, you're saying when you bought the tickets, did it, it did not specify if it was high frame rate? No, because well, 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 this is what I learned because going back to the Blank Jack podcast, I listened to their Avatar: The Way of Water review, and I didn't know this that on Fandango. AMC theaters are not telling you how it's being presented outside of just 3D, Dolby, IMAX. Regal, Regal cinemas are telling you exactly how, forget about Avatar, but any movies being presented. I didn't know that. I genuinely did not. I, I, I already knew for the record for 10 years now that the Dan Perry IMAX is a quote, Limax. It's a licensed thing that IMAX does for certain theaters. So, for my second viewing of Avatar, I was attempting to go to the Lincoln Square AMC IMAX, which is like one of the flagship locations for IMAX in the world. It's probably the premier IMAX theater in the Northeast. Um, it became hard to do. My girlfriend got sick and also spending like roughly $200 round trip on between train tickets, food, movie tickets. It became a little impractical. So I decided against that for my second viewing. So then I'm like, okay, I found an article where Jimmy C states the ideal way to watch this movie is Dolby 3D. So I'm like, okay, let me go find Dolby 3D because I know the same Danbury Theater in Connecticut has a Dolby Theater. I saw Elvis in the summer last year. And I looked into it, like this time really scrutinizing all the criteria for the showing, and it was just listing it as Dolby, not Dolby 3D. So I spent about an hour delving into pretty much every Dolby theater in the Northeast, and I found another – pretty much there's no Dolby, at least in my area, and this includes New York City – a Dolby 3D showing of Avatar The Way of Water. The closest one I could find was in like central Connecticut at the AMC Plainville Theater. And that's what I saw yesterday. It was in Dolby 3D. I, oh God, just from the previews alone, like the preview started playing and tying this back to Jimmy C, there was a trailer for the 
Titanic 25th anniversary re-release. I've seen the trailer a couple of times on YouTube, but I saw it here. And I, I, I want the audience to know at home, I cannot overstate my affinity for Titanic. Titanic's maybe the only thing that I movie wise is in the same pantheon for, as Star Wars is to me. And I'm watching this Dolby 3D trailer for the Titanic re-release and I've never seen Titanic look so good in my life. I've never again I've seen Titanic since I was 5 years old. I have never seen this movie look so vivid and clear and just vibrant. And I'm like, "Whoa." I'm like, this was worth the three-hour round-trip car ride. And I'm like, is this what the actual movie's going, like Avatar going to look like? Then there was a trailer for Indiana Jones 5. And I will say, interesting choice on Lucasfilm slash Disney's behalf. The Dolby 3D trailer, I don't know if it's for any other version of it, but the Indiana Jones 5 trailer is different than the one that's on YouTube. It is different. There's more footage to it that I have not seen. There's more de-aged Indiana Jones in it. There's a lot. Maybe it's just different angles and stuff, but it is different. I can, I can, as someone who's watched the YouTube trailer at least five or six times now, it is definitively different. And it looks, again, I mean this from a theatrical angle. I don't mean this from as a content. It looks good, as in like it looks colorful, it looks vibrant. Again, my girlfriend being probably her equivalent to star wars is indiana jones i leaned over to her and i'm like dude best case scenario this movie's mediocre it's it's gonna be a bad movie like just accept it it's not gonna be good like it's gonna be your force i already warned her it's gonna be her force awakens best to accept it now and be pleasantly surprised come june it's not gonna be good like i want everybody to know at home that the president of marketing for the walt disney company is a gentleman named Asad Ayaz, I think his name is, and I follow him on Twitter. And most of his tweets only get like two or three like comments and maybe fifteen likes. And every time he posts about Indiana Jones, I have to fight the urge to reply back with one of my deeply cynical comments. Like every single time, I'm like, "Is this the time that I get blocked by a Disney executive?" Um, but that's a story for another day. Um, but no, so as I, when I got to Avatar 2, The Way of Water and Dolby 3D, like Chris said, the high frame rate is more than evident once you delve into it. And it's probably like prior to this showing, my favorite movie going experience of my entire life has been Gravity, Alfonso Cuaron's Gravity in IMAX 3D. I saw that twice in IMAX. This beat that again, it's almost been 10 years since that film was released in theaters. But like this easily, like it was like I've never seen a film glow as much as Avatar 2 did in Dolby 3D. Like I've always been an IMAX person, but like this single handedly was just wow. Like I was like is even though I'd seen this movie just a month earlier, it felt like I was watching it for the first time. And I don't mean that to sound cheesy or archaic. I was sing- I was genuinely blown away by the presentation of this movie because of the Dolby 3D experience. Like if anybody where they live have that opportunity to see any movie, um, I will say that last night I did some research into the Titanic re-release and it will not get a Dolby 3D release because of goddamn Magic Mike 3. I don't know why we're re-release why, why we're releasing Magic Mike 3 in Dolby 3D outside of confused like I don't know what, like Housewives. I don't know who dollars to see Magic Mike in Dolby three in Dolby. 
has has there ever been a greater tragedy in, in cinematic history than Titanic being bumped for that? Like, as <laughs> it's just like that's just remarkable. But um, but you know, I'm glad you what you say that once you finally saw the the high frame rate, you you uh you knew what you were missing. I think I and I think this is just a generational thing. But like, still, when I see high frame rate, like I I you know like we're, I'm, I think at this point, just anyone who plays video games is used to like what 60 fps and higher looks like so it's not like you have a, you have more frames of reference for comparison pretty much every video game you play is more than double the frame rate of a movie for the most part and so you you, you see that regular contrast and i think when i one of the opening shots you see um you see uh some navi flying around on some banshees and like like my initial reaction on those first couple shots was like, this looks like a video game because of the high frame rate. And that's, it, it's just the, 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 the quality of the animation and like just the environment and everything is so much beyond that, that it's not a, it's, it's just a, it's just a knee jerk reaction. It's like, it looks way better than that, but I'm literally just talking about the fluidity of the motion almost makes me feel like it's, not a real movie or something right it's like it's like what do you what is this it's almost like like uh you know when um like they used to refer to it as like a soap opera effect like when you would watch like you 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 could people can it's harder to tell the difference between 24 frames a second and 30 which tv was but it's almost like people had a visceral negative reaction to 30 frames a second compared to 24 as if it was uncinematic in some way and you know this is i think the high frame rate scenes in Avatar are 48. I'm guessing. I don't think they push it any farther than that, but uh, because I think the 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 whole deal with 48 is that you can keep the same shutter speed as 24, so you have like this roughly the same amount of motion blur without like you you put, go higher than 48 and you have less motion blur, so it gets really experimental at that point <laughs> so i guess they avoid that well that's well that's the thing i will say though is that like like obviously i knew what i looked like knew what to look for for high frame rate i didn't ask my girlfriend who's obviously relative to me the novice here but i will say at certain points when the high frames really like kicked in and it it was more jarring during sequences when the characters were like on the beach but there was a couple of times where you have like all the Navi kids, Jake's kids, the Sea People's kids. It felt like a cutscene from Mass Effect in the late 2000s. Like it became very like stuttery and like it like it took me out of it. But I think that's psychology. That's what I'm saying. I don't think it's actually I think it's just you're used to high frame rates being video games from a cultural context standpoint. I don't think it's something wrong with the animation. I think it's just we're trained to have a visceral reaction to that and identify it with one form of media. But I, I, when I say Mass Effect, I mean that as it reminded me of that. But it did felt it felt it was visual like again visibly jittery. Like it it was jittering too much, and that's where I don't know maybe if that's on the present like the 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 projector, if it's part of the theatrical presentation, maybe the theater was not calibrated perfectly. Um, I know prior to this, Jimmy C did send like pretty much every theater in the country that was displaying this on their largest screen, like a handwritten letter telling them what they need to do to properly calibrate their feeder system for it. Um, nice. I, I, I don't know. that. That's one where we'll never know. And that's what, again, makes me very nervous about the Titanic re-release as somebody who really keeps Titanic 
or holds it in the highest regard possible. I'm insanely nervous about rewatching Titanic, which I will do. And like, by the time you're listening to this a couple of days, I don't know what to do. Cause obviously Jimmy C's attention is not on Titanic right now. I, I just don't know. Cause remember there is a blur. Like Jimmy C can only do so much. He can give them handwritten instructions as to how to calibrate their theaters, but whether they follow it, no one's going to know unless the Walt Disney company sends a representative. That, you know, that reminds me. I'm so, I'm so glad you reminded me. Like, so like in Canada, I went to see this at, uh, at a Cineplex that it was Dolby. It was Dolby 3d and high frame rate. And when you bought the tickets, it said HFR on there. So you, you definitely knew that it was high frame rate. Uh, and it had a unique, to to canada and possibly cineplex jimmy c message at the beginning of the movie and uh and uh in which he reminded us that he is in fact canadian and he said a few other things (laughs) (laughs) and he said a few other things which and i'm going to insert that right here because i started recording it just for amusement so we'll put that in right here as a filmmaker i thank you you being here today not only means the world to me but it also means the world to literally hundreds of thousands of people who make a living in the movie industry here in Canada. As we say on Pandora, in Iowa, thank you, Canada. Enjoy the show. He basically just tells you that congratulations on making the right choice, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Again, classic Jimmy C. Congratulations on doing what I would do. Um, no, no, like I said, I, I will say, like, as somebody who's again, I the only other I, I will say, like, watching the Dolby previews again, Titanic looked phenomenal. Like, I will again, part of me will always despair at the notion that I will not get to experience that in Dolby 3D. Um, Indiana Jones looked great, like, not Titanic level good, but like, it looked good, like, wow, like, compared to like just the, the other compressed nonsense that's on YouTube. And then, just for comparisons purposes for presentation, the Ant Man and the Wasp trailer played, and it looked terrible. Like, by comparison, it didn't look bad in and of itself, but it looked bad. It was very dark, it was very just flat. And I'm like, it's like everything else in this world. It's like if you don't put the – you can put something into that theater, but if it's not properly calibrated for that theater, it's going to just sit there. It's, it's, it's Again, it's the magic mic thing. It's going to be simply an upcharge to confuse audience goers. This is where I'm a little divided on your Titanic re-release because like my initial reaction is that you should never go to see anything that's post converted in 3D. Okay, the push. I, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree with you. I saw Titanic in IMAX 3D in Albany, New York, in 2012, and my two takeaways from that experience were one, there was a bunch of people in the theater, and all they did was laugh at the movie, which was like insane to think that like why would you spend twenty dollars on a ticket just to laugh at a movie that you could sit at home and laugh at, and two. The scream was really bleached out. Like, like it, it was striking. Again, I, I don't remember being unhappy with it. A lot of it probably was also a tribute to I didn't know any better at the time. I was also, oh God, 19. So what did I know? But it was, it was content. But like, I will say like watching that trailer and again, obviously a piece of marketing is different than a film. The tr- Chris, I cannot overstate how much I've seen this movie over my lifetime. It, I've never seen the movie look that good before. Again, it, it, well, I just, I think there's a higher standard of post converting for a Titanic than what you're getting in uh, Ant Man and the Wasp forty seven. Absolutely, 
It is a Jimmy C baby. Yeah. Well, it's just like, yeah, any, I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure no MCU movie was ever actually filmed in 3d. Like I, I for the, for the audience at home, I am visibly shrugging right now. <laughs> like when you, yeah, that, but that's the reason why, like if you like, you know, if you go see a Pixar movie, for example, it's actually 3d. Uh, it's not like, it's not like fake 3d. Like you get with post conversion where it's using like, you know, they'll probably get to the point where it uses like an AI algorithm to like fake the second angle. But that's what, that's what Titanic is though. Like it's the same thing. Like again, it, it's, it does. I think it, I don't think, and this is always drove me nuts in the early 2010s about post-conversion 3d is that a lot of people, I remember like arguing back in college, like, well, it's post-converted 3d. It's not good. I'm like post-converted 3d versus filmed in 3d doesn't matter what it boils down to is if the studio and the filmmaker actually care about the 3d experience like you can film something in 3d and it can still be garbage if the people making it don't care then it doesn't matter oh i think it matters because because for you to actually make a like a like perspectively accurate second angle you'd essentially have to like 3d map every single shot and there's just no chance on earth they're doing it they might be able to get to a technological point where they can click a button and it will auto generate an approximation we're not there right now so like they're somehow going through shot by shot and faking it but it's not like they're like it's a modification of the available frame rather than like an actual like different perspective right so at some level, it's kind of impossible for it to be like what it would actually be if it was filmed in 3D. So it's like, what are you really looking at? I, I, but again, I don't agree with that just simply based on the Titanic principle. Like looking at Jimmy C Titanic 3D high frame rate versus, I don't know, there's got to be some Disney thing they've done the last 10 years plus that's been filmed in 3D. I think it comes down to author's intent. Well, every Pixar movie. There's got to be at least one Marvel film in the last 65 of those movies that's been filmed in 3D. Statistically speaking, there has to be one that's been filmed in 3D. I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure the practice has been more or less uh, forgotten. <laughs> well, no, but like I, 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 again, nowadays, yes, nothing is filmed in 3D. But back again 10 years ago and I think it comes down to author's intent. Like I remember hearing stories about like one again one of the not the best, but one of the most fun 3D experiences I ever had was back in 2012. I saw Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. And that was such a fun 3D experience movie considering how goofy the source material was. And that was all post-converted. I, I think I can even Tron Legacy, like everybody forgets that like Avatar comes out in December of 2009. Tron Legacy comes out in December of 2010. And the 3D in Tron Legacy was light years beyond what avatar was doing like everybody forgets that like it comes down to what was happening at the current time like technology is always advancing and it's hard to distill it year to year there is there is no chance that i would ever sign off on that statement but oh no it's in, no, no. go look it up go go look it up because no, what happened was yes yes because you know what happened was when jimmy c was shooting avatar he was shooting it in 2006 this is even before like Disney, but it's not. It has nothing to do with cameras, though. Like it's ninety percent an animated movie. They they they're just adding a second digital camera angle. Go go. 
I will ask the audience at home to judge that statement. Go look it up. Do the research. The the can the 3D on Tron Legacy was again Avatar was sh- the original Avatar was shot like in 2006, and it was like yes, but it's mostly not shot at all though. But what I mean though is that it was being oh, composited. Then excuse me, and you just decide it was be at that point Tron Legacy was so. Oh, I think Jimmy C was by the time Tron Legacy was probably being like like composited, Avatar was more or less done. So it was the idea of like standing on the shoulders of giants. There's not like more than one way of doing 3D. It's like it's like you're either simulating the distance between two human eyes, or you're changing that distance if you have like a wide shot for example which i noticed very specifically in the way of water like there's early on there's like some like basically how like rendered helicopter shots that are like there's nothing close to the camera right the the camera <laughs> the, the non-existent <laughs> camera. there's nothing close to it and correctly it's basically not a 3d shot when there's nothing within 10 feet of the fake camera because yes. you're because the human eyes have no f- functionally no perspective difference there's no depth in that shot yeah it's just so and i had to double check because i was like it was really on early in the movie and i'm like this better be i thought i was like i had to make sure like did they not is this a 2d presentation that they just put out 3d glasses for because like everybody's a buffoon like i had to make sure for a second because there was a shot that was clearly like if I move my glasses, there's no double imaging going on whatsoever. Like it was just such a wide shot that like, there's just no difference between the two angles. Right. So it's just like, there's not really like, there's not really like two ways of doing it is what I'm trying to say. It's like, it's, it's either you're shifting the camera like two and a half inches or three inches, or it's not 3d. I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I don't. Again, I completely understand where you're coming from, but as to far my statement goes for Tron Legacy versus OG Avatar, uh, go look it up. I, I never saw the OG Avatar, or did I? Yeah, I did see OG Avatar 3D. I remember the Tron Legacy 3D more than I did the Avatar 3D. I remember that being more prolific. But again, I, I was pre. I love Tron Legacy. That's one of my top ten favorite films of all time. Avatar. I literally cannot punt that film far enough away from me. Even uh, well, thirteen going on fourteen years later. So I will concede there is some level of inherent bias on my part. But I do remember. I remember doing the research on that, like in twenty thirteen, and being surprised because I remember reading the headline myself, being like, "Tron Legacy, Tron three D better than Avatar?" Question mark. Question mark. But again, like that article was written probably ten years ago. Well, it also could be that just the aesthetic of the movie lend landed itself better to uh, your eyes, sort of like the contrast of tron legacy is just like there's people there's people in black suits carrying around neon lights like it's well even i will tell the audience at home go look up blu-ray 3d reviews of avatar versus um of tron legacy the proof is in the pudding there considering that neither film has been what the last release release of tron legacy in the theater was 2011 versus avatar which was just released what september of last year just just putting it out there. And again, we should also mention that Avatar 2009 was released in high frame rate 3D in September of last year. Like that also got a contemporary re-release, which is something that most films aren't allowed. I, th- I think you're going to see more of that because they're proving that there's like a business case for it. Like 
and it's 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 like a concept that falls in and out of favor like every once in a while but like you know, it's you pretty much only get it with Star Wars movies and Jimmy C movies, I guess. And they haven't enjoyed like, I, I guess, you, you know, I guess we got Rogue One like uh, yep. around the time of Andor. Well, that was done as a promotional thing because there literally was nothing being released in September for for, for movie theaters. It was a dead zone. I don't think I don't know. I, I never looked into how much money it made. But like, I know when I went to see it, there was nobody there except me. But, 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 uh, but, 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 you know, if there's, if it's selling tickets where otherwise there'd be nothing out, then I don't see, I don't see why it doesn't happen more often. I I will say, Chris, like, and again, this is really kind of like a tangent real quick, but we're speaking of 3D re-releases, like there is the, like, this is a couple of weeks ago, I found a post about like when Lucasfilm announced the 3D re-releases of Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, which we never got because Disney Lucasfilm canceled those, like, is there any further history on those, or is it just simply end to that statement? Uh, I mean, you you don't know the further history on those. Okay, question mark. <laughs> you you do know that they were uh, they were played for audiences in 3D at celebrations, right? Well, yeah. So like they were done. It was just more of a Lucasfilm once again sweeping the pre- prequels under the rug. Well, I mean, it's also at it's not it's not really that because it it happens to coincide with the uh, death of Lucasfilm. (laughs) All right. That that answers my question more than I could ever have expected it to. That's 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 an it's not the answer I wanted, but it's the answer I expected. Um, (laughs) The death of Lucasfilm. Well, yeah, it, it was mid 2000s, 2010s Lucasfilm just being like anything that isn't the original trilogy is is garbage but no but phantom menace was re-released in 2011 right that was when lucas still owned the company that's what i mean but that was the weird but this is the weird thing that like again maybe you understand it i'm always figuring it still trying to figure out this day he re-releases the phantom menace in 3d in february 2012 it makes a decent amount of money like almost shocking level amount of money i remember seeing that at a midnight showing in college and the theater wasn't packed, but it was. It had a nice crowd for a midnight showing of a 3D re-release of a movie that is quote one of the most hated films of all time. It had a nice crowd, and then Lucasfilm's schedule again. This is pre-Disney sale. Episode two and episode three's re-releases for September and October 2013. They are going to wait a year and a half for those films to get a theatrical experience for mass audiences. Never, I'll never understand that. Why they released one in February 2012, then scheduled the subsequent films a year and a half later. I'll never understand that. Well, as someone who uh, found the post-conversion of episode one to be very lackluster and ho-hum and not necessary, and I would have rather just go see it in 2D as uh, Lucas intended originally, um, I it's possible because I I didn't have the privilege of seeing either of those at celebration. It's possible that the work was subpar or not quite finished. And like, I guarantee that most people can't tell the dang difference. And they're just at celebration just being like, I'm just happy to be here. So like, (laughs) I don't, I, 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 I like, it could be that it just wasn't there. And, um, and also like, I, I mean, I think it's, isn't it sort of a matter of record that the, that the episode one re-release is like sort of related to the Disney sale. 
Like, am I making this up? This is well, I, I don't know. My conjecture has always been that this was again the story about Lucas selling to Disney was that the first preliminary talks happened in 2011. Him and Bob Iger sitting there during the re-release the the Star Wars, I'm sorry, Star Tours, the adventure continues during like the opening ceremonies, and Lucas leans over to Bob Iger and he's like so I'm considering s- selling the company. Would you be interested? And Bob Iger is just like, you have my attention. And then my conjecture to that has always been Lucas wanted to provide an objective indicator that there was still interest in Star Wars beyond the Clone Wars because the official Lucasfilm record to this day is that the, they lost money on the Clone Wars. I don't agree with that. I think that's a falsehood. I think that's Hollywood accounting. But to this day, if you go tweet to Pablo Hidalgo, which I know Chris does not believe in doing, and you ask him about the success of the Clone Wars, he'll tell you it was a financial loss for the company and like from the moment it started to the moment it ended in 2013. But I think, and again, I cannot overstate this. This is my conjecture that Lucas wanted to show a independent barometer of, of Star Wars' popularity. So his idea was, I am already playing with these films in 3D and high um, 3D and 4K. Obviously, Star Wars 4K being the genesis of McClunky. So he figures, I'm going to take the most prolific hated star wars film and re-release it and see where it goes from there i think it makes about 60 million dollars in the u.s i don't know how much it makes worldwide all i know is it gets the phantom menace which at that point was just under a billion dollars worldwide over the billion dollar mark which was just becoming the new benchmark for hollywood to prove if a movie was successful or not and then little do we know Nine months later, we're or less than that, I think eight months later, we're getting the announcement that Disney is buying Lucasfilm. And everything is just com- complete upheaval, all hell breaking loose, cats and dogs together, just the Bill Murray spiel from Ghostbusters. Um, that's my understanding of events. Yeah, well, I mean, I gotta I gotta double check what the what the Bob Iger book actually says if it gets into I something tells me Bob Iger doesn't mentally register the Phantom Menace 3D. But, but the uh, Bob Iger, I will say, like, I remember that book in 2019. I got like two chapters into it, and there's blatant falsehoods in it. Like it is a sugar-coated just Oh God, rose tinted glasses recollection of what things happen. Like you cannot look at that as a objective account of events. You can't. That no. Okay, maybe not, but he also like he he says that like like I mean, if he it's not that rose tinted. He's like, Yeah, Lucas didn't like episode seven and he said you they haven't done anything new here. But that doesn't but I think George Lucas spent forty five minutes on Charlie Rose comparing to Disney the White Slavers. To say George Lucas did not like The Force Awakens is a rather neutered well comment. He, he also details like the meeting where Lucas realized they weren't doing his story treatments and like I mean it's stuff you wouldn't share if you didn't have if you didn't But it's not but it's not anything enlightening. It's like again it's somebody who spent the last 10 plus years studying the Walt Disney Company, the Bob Iger autobiography. There's like it's provocative, I won't deny that, but it's not meant to be an objective recollection of what happened. It's just not. I don't trust him. He's he he's a snake in the grass at best. 
Well, it it didn't do any favors to uh, my uh, view of Disney and how they handled Star Wars. But all it did was reaffirm that they didn't know what they were doing and they got lucky at numerous turns. You could say. Like, doesn't The Force Awakens prove that just like it's again and maybe to put their like bring the whole Jimmy C Avatar like discussion to like like full circle? Like, whereas Avatar 2 is oh god, what would you call that? 13 years of perfect construction of understanding mass audiences recollecting reflecting on what made that first film so popular and just fine-tuning it exactly to try to duplicate that experience i think the force awakens is the antithesis to that it's a bunch of people thinking they understand how star wars works putting everything into the blender and getting lucky that the exact same thing happened i don't whereas he understands what makes populist filmmaking work i don't think kathleen kennedy and jj abrams did i think they again much like i've always said jj abrams and chris terrio backed into brilliance with the rise of skywalker i think they backed into box office glory with the force awakens yeah absolutely it's it doesn't have it doesn't have the cultural impact like the amount of importance they placed on the millennium falcon for example it's just like you guys couldn't be farther off the mark like it's it's just that is not a that is not a thing <laughs> like 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 it's it's i don't know it's like they it, you know they 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 didn't remember watching the prequels jj <laughs> wasn't well, well again, again but like that thing and like it should be stated like i cannot overstate this enough that like we are three plus years from the rise of skywalker Three plus years in J.J. Abrams, the wonderkin of Hollywood, the protege of Steven Spielberg, has still not crawled out of the hole that he hid in in 2019. He still hasn't. Go look up the last time J.J. Abrams did like a, a public like interview or something like that. The dude crawled into a hole in 2019 and still has not come out of it. He's in like weirdly enough, he's in the same boat as Gareth Edwards. Dude just crawled into a hole after his Star Wars experience and has not come out of it since. Strange as it may sound. Well, I'm I'm I for one I'm I'm happy about that. But um <laughs> you know the, the the less we have of JJ in our future the better. Um you know uh like I'm so glad we finally just brought this back to Star Wars somehow, but um you know, like I'm just I'm just I can't tell you what psychological good the success of the way of water has done for me in terms of renewing my faith in humanity. You know what I mean? Like there's really just so much worthless nonsense out there in such high abundance. And I know that Jimmy C is not a peddler of that level of garbage. And he only comes out <laughs> to grace us with his presence once every long while. And I hope you can maintain this. I know on some level, I know it's, it's a fool's errand to do five avatar movies, but like, but like, I'm glad this worked out and, uh, and I, you know, see it in Dolby 3d and high frame rate. If you're going to go see it. I don't know. Like I said, I, I really don't know. Like I don't like, this doesn't feel like the same thing that happened in 2009. Um, this is not going to be the industry changer that it was. Um, hopefully it tells disney that there's still money worth in like original ip and the please stop betting everything on the marvel machine which will inevitably collapse again speaking of jimmy c and five avatar films again law of averages the marvel machine will collapse one day um 
I, I don't know. Like, I, I really don't. Like, in like, it, it's weird to think that like they're betting everything now for the future of the Marvel thing on Ant Man, the Wasp, which was a joke of a character ten years ago. Um, oh, that trailer just hurt my brain so badly. I but like, okay, not to delve too. Again, this is where Zenger would be great if he were here. But like, the Marvel thing with Kang, like Kang is the late logical evolution of Marvel after Infinity uh, Endgame. Like, it's the thing. Then, like, they're going to go to Doctor Doom. They're going to sit there, shove Tobey Maguire. Again, look what they're doing with Deadpool. They're going to bring Hugh Jackman back. Like, I'm not sure if you've seen the articles lately, Chris, but, like, Tobey Maguire has been doing the interview circuit. And he's like, yeah, I can't. He's like, I'd love to come back for Spider-Man again. Like, I, we're at a point where people want a third Tobey – I'm not Tobey. A third Andrew Garfield Spider-Man film. Like, people hated those movies less than yeah. 10 years ago. People despised Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, and yet people have deluded themselves now into thinking they want more of that. Like, talk about revisionist history. Well, well, I mean, DC is fine to have three Batman plates spinning at once, so why not? Okay, I will say that, okay, we, we can't bring DC into this, because DC literally is just like the equivalent of somebody like throwing like a dirty diaper on fire into a dumpster. Like, that's not even a player right now. Okay, like, as, like, as... I, I don't know. I kind of disagree in the sense that like the Joker and the new Batman with uh with Twilight are like <laughs> kind of like they're, they're like they're treating like I, what I like about that is they're at least just treating it like comic books. Like here's a one off thing. It's like it's not it's not a shared universe. It's a it's a it's a script and a director's take that you just here's where we're going to pretty much leave it. And next time it might be a we might wipe the slate clean like i vastly prefer that to a 27 film shared universe well yeah and that's why the marvel thing has only worked one time and now it's a house of cards that's in like in constant fear being blown over no i agree but like i don't know man like we're at a point now where blockbuster cinema i genuinely think they don't know what's happening like Mar the idea of chasing the marvel dream kept them alive for five or six years they're at a point now where I don't think Hollywood has any idea. Like, think about it. Look what the – again. Look, what were your highest grossing movies last year? It was Top Gun Maverick, which was like the definition of one of the very, very few instances where a legacy sequel succeeded. Maybe the only instance where a legacy sequel, maybe beyond The Force Awakens, genuinely did what it was expected to do. I don't know. I, I really don't know. Like, again, I don't think – the the best thing about Avatar 2 The Way of Water is that it has not created any fat like in the moment fats. It's just it's doing its own thing. There's nothing for Hollywood to try to emulate. It's just doing its own thing. That's it. I would love for Hollywood to try and emulate it and lose money. I hope that's what happens. But that's what again, but like how many times can that happen? Even look at Jurassic World, like DC, like all these brands chase the Marvel machine of like, oh God, elaborate chapter book filmmaking, and they all failed. Like DC is on the verge of collapse. By the time this episode releases, I would imagine that like apparently James Gunn this week is like doing like his DC like slate announcement. And then you have Jurassic World, which just after making like $1.6 billion in 2015, just barely eked by a billion last year. Like all these franchises, whether it be – it's not just Star Wars. It's all of them with the exception of a couple ones here and there are all being scrutinized because they're not bringing what they once did. Good. 
Well, yeah, good. <laughs> totally good. It's such a shame they'll never learn the right message from The Way of Water, which is that you just trust a proven filmmaker and don't meddle with their process. Or we'd have Steven Spielberg's Indiana Jones 5. <laughs> But like this goes, this reminds me, and obviously we want to wrap this up soon, but like this reminds me when I was in college and for my uh, film studies professors, like I remember talking, like, again, this wasn't even specifically like one-on-one, this was with a class. They're like, the studio system has always produced crap. Like forever, the studio, 98% of what the studios churn out is crap. And the 2% is a happy accident for the most part that the studios did not meddle with. They did not interfere. They did not have to put their input in. And that's always going to happen. But that's the best stuff where the ones that slip by but also had a decent budget to like actually realize that vision. But that's the thing though. It's like I don't think like as cinematic culture goes, I don't think we're any better or worse shape than we've ever been. It's again, it goes back to that rule. 2% gets by where it's both genuinely good and uncompromised. And it's always going to be that way. Like when it comes to, to, to Hollywood, three to four movies every year will be decent to good. And that's where you get your ones where people really latch on to them, whether it be Avatar, Top Gun, um, I'm going to make another contemporary example. It's hard to do. Um, exactly. That's not Marvel. But it, it's the idea that like it's always going to be that Hollywood will always have a couple of good movies a year. It's Again, goes back to the magic turn of phrase, law of averages. I mean, it's it's a pretty short list. Um, but uh, I guess if you I guess if you looked at any one slice of time of over, if you look at just a couple of years, it's always going to be a short list. Yeah. Like any, like any good list should be. It should be short. All right, Chris, anything else about Avatar 2, uh, the direction of Liquid? Well, I think it's telling that we didn't go too deeply into the plot of the film. <laughs> um, well, r- real quick, real quick. Can I please say I absolutely love the idea. Like I was laughing during both sh- uh, viewings of the movie. I like the idea of flying barracudas. They, I find them hilarious. <laughs> I like the idea of a flying barracuda just like like that's so goofy and so schlocky. Um I love the 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 Tolkien that just is like like just wants to just mess like mess uh mess crap up, this lands on the thing, just is like deflecting like harpoon blast. He's great. He's like we should say that like the space whale that speaks in papyrus font is like the OG best character in the entire film. Um Oh God, what, else, what other weird stuff in this movie did I like? Um, there is a point in this movie that is maybe the most goofy moment in cinematic history that I could not adore anymore if I tried and only Jimmy C could get away with it. Um, there is a moment where Jake Sully is talking and like you have like, like – he's narrating and the ki- his kids are talking. But they're talking in Navi and there's like subtitles saying what they're saying. And like as his narration goes on in English, he's like after a while – it just started to all blend together. And then the font, like the subtitle font literally just like dissolves into nothing in 3d. I'm like, this might be the most schlocky garbage I've ever seen in the movie. Like it might, it's great. I love it. I don't want it to change, but like, it really is like the physical embodiment of his line from Titanic where Rose has the pictures and he's like, what was the name of the, the painter again? Picasso something and like she goes on and he's like well at least they were cheap <laughs> just like 
just like it's like Jimmy C. Schlock at its finest. Like he has his own. As someone who loves Schlock, I eat it morning, afternoon, and lunch. I'm sorry, and dinner. I really like. I love his schlock. Like there's so much of it in this movie, which is what I expect when I go to see a Jimmy C movie, I want his schlock, but like, it's great. But like, it, it really is like, even there's a moment toward the end of the film where, uh, Took, the youngest child of the uh, Sully's is tied up for a second time. And the child literally goes, I can't believe I'm tied up again. And I'm just like, like it's meant to be like, in, like a knee slapper for normies and filthy casuals. But like, it got a big one both times I saw it. Yeah, it does. Like it really does. And like, it's so like, like it's like if any other movie did this, if it was a Marvel movie, heck, even if it was a Star Wars movie, it would be a groaner. But somehow Jimmy C turns the groaner into like quaint schlock like i think something people really is are not latching onto here is like this reminds me of like what pg movies used to be in the 80s and the 70s where it's like you might see a guy get shot in the face and it's rated pg like you know like they they acknowledge they acknowledge life death show violence quasi nudity and acknowledge the fact that human beings actually have sex in real life. Like they don't avoid subject matter anywhere in this movie. And there's an F they use their one F bomb for PG 13. It's like, it just, you, when you do little things like that, you give the audience a sense that anything could happen and you're not watching like an overly sanitized experience. And I think that does wonders for your feeling actually caught up in the moment of the film when you on some level you feel like from the perspective of the filmmakers you might see anything happen from a guy's arm getting cut off to somebody getting shot through the head with an arrow you're not it has the same rating as these mcu movies but crazy stuff happens no i no absolutely like again it feels like an individual's vision as opposed to so, like the equivalent of a McFlurry at McDonald's. Like there's a difference between having somebody scoop you ice cream and then somebody pulling a lever on a machine and it pours ice cream into a scoop. There's a difference. I think both are very similar at the end of the day, but I think there's a, there's one that feels more like a human hand had a personal touch to it. And yet that's somehow the one that's hitting the largest mass appeal. You know what I mean? Yes. It's poetic how funny it is. Like the lengths, the length these companies go to to make generic slop that appeals to everyone. And Jimmy sees just like, I actually know how to do that. And you guys don't. And you should just listen to me. Exactly. And that's it's hilarious. It is what it is. Like, and, and that's what makes it. And that's what makes him legendary. That's why we're going to talk about again. We'll be talking as long as there's cinema in the world. We'll be talking about the legendary reign of Jimmy C. It really is unparalleled. I really think with the exception of probably Lucas, I there's really – he has no other contemporary in that he's an auteur with his own IP that no one has infringed upon while he, while he was exclusively in charge with it. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because – the the nice thing is like i don't like there you know he's talked a little bit about the plot of three and four and like it shouldn't be anything like the first two hopefully man like fingers crossed 
I will, okay, one final question before we wrap this up. Is there any point where we actually get Arnold Schwarzenegger in these movies? Because I know he wanted to be in the second one. Jimmy C wouldn't let him be. I don't think so because even Jimmy C himself wanted Michael Bean to 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 play um, Quaritch, but he didn't oh, really? do it. He didn't do it because he didn't want people to be like, "Oh, it's just an aliens reunion." Oh yeah, I remember that story. Like he was self aware enough to be like, be like, "Yeah, it's a little bit too much for the audience." And I think Arnold, you know, it. I think if you can you imagine Arnold as a Navi, wouldn't that be great? Oh, not only that, but the, you know, but like the whole story of like DiCaprio. Uh, turning down Jake Jake Sully, like I've never heard. Wait, what? I'm, uh, am I crazy? I'm pretty sure that's a thing. But um, I've never heard that before. That's the first I've ever heard about that. I'm pretty sure they. I'm pretty sure they couldn't come to a deal. It's but uh, but I don't know if it's the same movie. If that's DiCaprio, you know what I mean. I, I think it's like you need the you need the you need the quasi no name at the time, you know. But uh, you need the guy that's only starred in Terminator uh, Salvation at, up until that point. Well, that was but that was after they filmed Avatar. I know that that just goes to prove the point that like when they were making Terminator Salvation, Mick G sat down with Jimmy C and was like, so like any words of encouragement and Jimmy C was like, good luck. And Mick G was like, that's it. And he's like, eh, Sam Worthington's a good guy. Maybe throw him a bone. And Mick G's like, all right, I'll take that for what it's worth. And, and like Sam Worthington is not even the worst part of Terminator Salvation. So like, I mean, Terminator Salvation is like. You know, we didn't know where it was going to go from there. But anyways. All right. Um, yes. We, we yeah. talked enough about Jimmy yeah. C. So, all right. So conclude this episode of Knights of Vader, a uh, way of water podcast. Check out the Facebook group. Type Knights of Vader in the pot into Facebook and you will find us waiting there for you. Check out the Instagram at KOV podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate and review and subscribe to us on Spotify and iTunes. We would appreciate it. Mucho grande. Contact me, Zach, on the Twitter at Cinemodies or on oh, – I'm sorry. Thank you to Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. To hear more from them, check out the show notes. And when – Chris, you are not on this podcast. What are you up to? You can follow me at the Chris Porteous on Instagram. And, you know, you can always join the Knights of Vader Facebook group if you want to um, come in there and try and tell me why Avatar The Way of Water is not good. And you, if you want to be lampooned in front of uh, uh, several people, you can do that. And, um, you know, uh, I also want to thank uh, the, the at Star Wars Pod Day Instagram account for sharing the fact that we were going to participate in Star Wars Podcast Day. And, you know... Um, if you're one of the handful of people who's tuning in to this episode because of that, hats off for you, to you for making it this far. And I swear we talk about Star Wars way too much and there'll be more of that. For the record, this was Chris' idea to do Avatar on Star Wars Podcast Day, not mine. Like, even though it feels like a Zach idea, it was not my idea. I wholeheartedly endorse it, but just a full disclaimer for uh, any new uh, audience members out there. He could not have said yes fast enough when I proposed. Oh, a hundred percent. Like I a hundred percent endorse it. I don't disagree with it, but it was not my idea. And just full disclosure for better or worse. Good night, but not goodbye. And as always, may the force be with you.